the good news is I did all the reading. The bad news is that I didn't take extensive notes with every issue like I sometimes do. The good news is I did not take extensive notes like I sometimes do every issue. So the chance that we'll actually <laughs> get through our assigned reading in a timely fashion, I think oh, is Jeff. that much higher. That's the cold open right there. Borag Thung, Earthlids. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Roll that back. Oh, no, I'm sticking with it. Hi, everyone. And welcome to Baxter Building Episode 6, which doesn't have a funny title yet, because I've not thought of one, and I'll do what I always do. I'll think of one while I'm making the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am Gray McMillan, and I am one of your two co-hosts for this travel through the Fantastic Four, Volume 1 from Marvel Comics. My co other co-host is... Me. Yes. Oh no, wait. I don't really do this right at all. Yes. No, I am Jeff We've Lester. Been doing this I, for how many episodes I, now? I, I think my I think this is if this is a test, I happen to know the answer is 6 cuz you just said it. But yes. if pressed, <laughs> I would have been if you hadn't said it beforehand, I would have been like uh 5, like for whatever reason I was great well, with fair, the first. We've done it 5 before because this is the 6th episode. Yeah. So both answers are right. Oh my goodness, Graham. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. Or maybe just fair. But uh, yes, uh, hello everyone. I am uh, Graham's co-host for this delightful tour through the first volume slash 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. And we are right in the middle of the so-called great shit, uh, a.k.a. <laughs> I love how you see so-called well yeah graham i got it it's, it's because it's like we're in the middle of the weird lull of the great shit yeah i guess that's it i mean it's interesting for me how much like this really does get to the sort of farthest limits i think of the lee kirby ff that i've that i know like, uh, you know, Part I, of the I is in you didn't read this stuff originally. Yeah, exactly. Like the issue 54, which is the first issue we'll be discussing. I oh, I, rem I, I, I'm going to interrupt and say, yes. hey, who's listening uh, and reading along at home. We're doing issues 54 through 60 and annual four. That's right. Yeah. But um, uh, this uh, issue 54, I think actually 54 and 55 are two issues that I had read previously one when i was very young in a reprint of you know marvel's greatest comics and the other one i'm not really sure where uh 54 but i have really it's really interesting the very strong associations i have with reading 54 um but but it is weird for me because we come from come off in many ways such a, a, an amazing high um of you know Basically, issues 48 through 52 are just five of the most um, 
you know, insanely inspiring comic books. You know, certainly five of the most uh, inspiring Wait, you're, superhero you're not, comics. You're not counting Fifty Three. Uh, is no, I am. Wait, am I? I am. I'm sorry. I'm so confused. I'll throw 53 in there as well. Although, frankly, I mean, I know it's between us. The, the, that claw issue is kind of 52 and 53 make kind of one amazing issue if you jam them together because of yeah, all the Black yeah. Panther if, stuff. If you manage to sort of take out so much of the terrible yeah. stuff, exactly, exactly, you, you could yeah. come up with a really good one, yeah. Uh, yeah, issue 54, I was thinking this just before we started recording, this is also the part where Fantastic Four is not about a superhero team anymore. No. Because for the majority of this run of six issues, they're separated. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and it becomes a, a book that's about characters who are interrelated, mm-hmm. and, and the Inhumans get folded into that and silver surfer gets folded into that as well yes uh it, it becomes a a, uh, a series about just folk <laughs> do you know what i mean like it, it it loses i don't know if it loses the momentum as much as the momentum changes like the, the focus of the book mm-hmm. shifts very dramatically yes uh, yeah. in these issues and i'm wondering if it's accidental because by the time you get to issue 60 it's kind of regained the original focus. Like things shift. Yes. Very oddly. Yeah. Uh, beginning with issue 54. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that there is some, um, I don't, you know, it, it, issues 54 through 60 are, are very strange. And I think someone, someone in the comments and I had meant to look this up in like a a slob that I am. I did not. Uh, I think someone in our comments for our Baxter building uh, podcast, one of our previous episodes mentioned the idea that the FF kind of become observers in their own book. Uh, And it's, did you not actually say that last time we did this? <laughs> really? Like, are, is that not actually you? Wait, I, I thought, okay, I did point that out for the Galactus stuff, but I think someone someone goes on to say that it, that, that it really becomes true. And it, and it seems true for a good chunk of these uh, issues, you know? Yeah. Um, 54 through 60 are really remarkable for being... Uh, yeah, the, it's it's the Fantastic Four are are set up in sort of secondary observer mode, um, and and even more to the point, which I find fascinating, uh, is that for myself, who's you know has sort of been counting down the internal clock to, um, you know, I feel like the 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 idea of the FF where all where the team is not all together, I just always assumed was a little bit of a post Lee and Kirby trope. You know, I remember from, you know, my childhood, since I did read so many of the issues between like, I don't know, 140 and issue 200, the the team is technically, you know, not all together during that period. You know? Yeah, because they keep replacing them. Exactly. You, you, you've got uh, Luke Cage in there for a while. That's right. Uh, Medusa, I think, replaces Sue Storm for a while. That's right. Because Reed and Sue split. Yeah, that's right. I guess that breaks in as as early as one thirty. Yeah, you start getting you start getting the FF without the FF. Yeah, and that goes on for a long time because I remember that somewhere it might even be issue two hundred mm-hmm. or maybe 
just before that, like 190-something, there is sort of a, they're getting back together, and it, it feels like an event, because you're like, wow, it's been a long time yeah, since yeah. these four have been together. Yeah, I, I, as, as I recall, it is very much, because part of what happens is, um, also, Reed, Reed is still part of the team, and is depow- he, first he loses his powers, I think, uh, but then, oh, because he's been slowly losing them, and then he gets replaced with the brute. So you actually have evil Reed Richards in the middle of the Fantastic Four. So, uh, so all, all of which, so yeah, it really is like it's right around two hundred because they sort of more or less all come back together and then break up the team. And I, I can't remember if like Reed gets his powers back and blah blah blah, and it leads into that big issue two hundred. Um, but here we see an extended chunk of time where Johnny and Wyatt Wingfoot start starting in issue 54, I guess, are yeah. on their own, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for a big chunk of time. And in ways that really, I mean, the thing that I think is really interesting is, is if you look at it through from one angle, issue 54 through 60, the, the Fantastic Four is this just enormous book that's sweeping in scope and jumping between you know three or four sets of characters spread out across the entire continent you know uh with oh, their beyond own... the entire continent well yeah because i guess johnny not true. end up elsewhere he, he does that's right yeah. exactly in fact johnny johnny and wyatt wingfoot one of the things that's amazing is is at some point they just end up in other dimensions you know in uh, which I'll uh, I'll get to. Yeah, get to, we'll yeah. we'll get more into this mm-hmm. as we go through the issues. But Johnny and Wyatt's uh, search to basically find a way to get into uh, the Inhumans Dome, yeah, uh, is the most haphazard mm-hmm. plot ever written. Yeah, it it really is, and it's it's kind of frustrating because it's a great idea, mm-hmm. and. They just clearly, it's also not the story that either Kirby or Lee wanted to write. It's it's fascinating. Like I said, viewed one way, it's this huge sweeping epic. But viewed the other way, which and unfortunately, I read it this way. It really seems like kind of a disorganized, slipshod, like ambition is off the charts. But nobody, there's nobody really driving the bus, and and nobody's really. Uh, um, got a handle on things. And for me, as, as everyone knows, I am so super in the corner of Kirby is the plot engine who is, who drives the fantastic four very strongly after a certain point. And I feel in that way, it almost seems as if what's happening in issues 54 through 60 can I almost feel can be laid on his shoulders. I think, I mean, because I honestly cannot understand why. Well, at, at the risk of jumping ahead, which I I think is somewhat fair to do, you know, it's amazing that the human torch and Wyatt searching for a way to get into the great refuge and the inhumans getting two pages, every issue, at least about trying to get out comes to so little in the scope of these issues maybe it goes it, on it, to... it's 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 kind of impressive yeah that it starts off in issue 54 mm-hmm. and listeners were really going to get into issue 54 soon i promise yes um but it starts off in issue 54 like it's going to be 
the driving force. Yeah. And the fact that it continues as a thread mm-hmm. through these six issues, including cutting back to the Inhumans so often. Yes. Makes you think that, or at least made me think, that Lee and Kirby know that it's supposed to be the driving force, but they just can't quite bring themselves to actually make it the driving force. Right. Like, it feels very much like an obligation, mm-hmm. as opposed to something they're excited to do. Well, uh, or or it may end up being uh, an, an unfortunate compromise. I mean, uh, to we do know, for example, that over in Thor, um, you know... Lee basically gave Kirby, uh, like, you know, Kirby was so gung-ho to do a Tales of Asgard comic that he actually told, like, a full, big, sweeping, epic story that my understanding is Lee then pretty much chopped up and put into three-page increments in the back of the main Thor story. So it's like you get Thor, then you get three pages of tales of Asgard, which involves them, you know, basically getting ready to fight off the trolls and encountering, uh, the Vikings or, or no, no, the Persian gods. And, and it's all, it's told very weirdly because it's like intro page bit of where they're going some action and then cliffhanger. I mean, at three pages, it's really truncated and you mm-hmm. can sense that Kirby, I feel was incredibly frustrated in that. And, and so in that regards, you do wonder the extent to which, you know, Kirby wanted to do take the fantastic four comic and really dive heavily into the inhumans uh, and and maybe into to Johnny Storm's sort of big epic quest, you know, um, and and instead what you end up getting are be, because you know the other person's like, no, we really got to have you know it's all about Reed and Ben and everybody. It all goes back to them, and so so it's it's either indifference or some extreme frustration, I, or you know I I but it is. It is fascinating. It is really a fascinating, you know, it's, again, it's worth remembering that nobody was really doing multi-issue superhero epics in this way. And Well, exactly. And not only, because at this point, it's not even multi-issue superhero epics. It becomes the story's flow. So it's Mm -hmm. not even like it's one story that goes across six issues. Yes. You're... Turn, it has really turned into the television model of an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. Yeah, yeah. With the B and C plots being Johnny and Wyatt and the Inhumans. Right. Um, and those are continuing narratives that go through the six issues, mm-hmm. while the A plots are, you know, most two issues. Yeah, I think but so. It, but even then, uh, the A plots are weirdly malleable as well. Yes. You get... Um, Again, we'll get to this later when we're going through the issues, but you get the Sandman breaking out of jail and basically causing shit. Yeah. And disappearing. Yes. Yeah. And he doesn't show up again until issue 61. Exactly. In fact, I was really surprised and kind of relieved to see him in 61 because it really looks like they everyone had forgotten about him, you know? But it's, it's all so weird. It's all... Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a really I don't know if it is a lack of focus, mm-hmm. or if it's that Lee and Kirby were actually trying to concentrate on the bigger picture, right? 
and and because they really are feeling their way about mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. because this hasn't been done before in mm-hmm. comics mm-hmm. that they're that it reads really awkwardly and that it, it seems very uneven and and stuttery because even the three plots in each issue mm-hmm. the cuts between them are not smooth yes yeah, Which yeah, is kind yeah. of surprising because I think that in earlier issues, I'm thinking in particular about the Frightful Four issues, mm-hmm. you would get cuts between scenes mm-hmm. and they would work better dramatically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and here, I, particularly when you get to uh, the the Doctor Doom Silver Surfer sequence mm-hmm. of issues, there there is a very strange, awkward uh, level of of cutting yeah yeah the cuts the cuts really are um in in some cases some of the cuts happen purely like it seems very squeezed in like uh well let's start in with issue 54 because i think actually there's even a a decent example in here i think yeah so So, so issue 54 uh it's called whosoever finds the evil eye Mm -hmm. and it opens up with uh the, the i think everyone agrees the most famous pastime in the African nature, nation of Wakanda. Yes. Uh, uh, baseball game. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, of course, I, I, I so, uh, um, as it's, I don't, you know, I don't really know if this, what's great is, is that this is something that becomes a tradition in the X-Men comic. And you know what I mean? I think it's such a, a good thing in a way to, uh, to gank, you know, but it because it, well, it's it's such a great scene, in mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. but it also is such a great tool to establish character dynamics. Yes, and also powers. Yes, yes, exactly. In a way that also feels like some great bonding and under. I mean, it it really is. Uh, um, you know, we talked about how those early issues had a little bit of like seeing the characters at home or at work at at play, you know, and this is kind of a, this is kind of a return to that, but done just so well. I mean, yeah, I, those, it's, and it's a very short sequence. It's three pages mm-hmm. and it is, there's a lot in those three pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, you could come fresh to Fantastic Four. Yeah. And pretty much know everything you need to know about the team, both in terms of, their powers, but how they relate to each other. Yes. And also l- learn the same about Wyatt and the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. All in those three pages. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The The only character that actually gets left out of using his powers on it's the Johnny. team is Johnny. Yeah. So it's incredibly a very, very elegant little opening. And uh, just re- and that and again, it's sort of the the way that we talked about in the previous uh, episode, where we saw stuff where it was like, yeah, you don't necessarily see Lee and Kirby at their best in say the Galactus Saga, but it all f- works. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really struck me uh, reading through issues fifty four through sixty is how just absolutely stellar and assured some of the sequences are. But the whole thing as a whole just doesn't congeal or cohere yeah. or, yes. you know. You're, you're entirely right. There, there are so many moments of, of genuine greatness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 enough to make you think that was a great issue. Mm-hmm. But, but the issues don't hold together. No. They make it through by, 
by charm. Mm-hmm. To make it through by you being like, oh, you know that that sequence with the with the baseball is great. Yes, right. But but again, you you there's there's always the cuts are odd, the mm-hmm. pacing's odd, mm-hmm. and there's always at least one completely superfluous scene. Oh yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Which is which I think is uh, which is amazing. So um, yeah, do you want to? Uh, is is there anywhere in particular you want to go? I have little bits and pieces. So of things so f- that I love fifty four but... mm-hmm. fifty four is a great example of the the status quo for the next few issues mm-hmm. because you open with the three pages of the team all together yes and then immediately afterwards they split up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it's not true immediately afterwards you have the fantastic four all hanging out and being like oh we're just hanging out with the black panther and his groovy african lair right um and then you have the inhumans well yes Exactly. And in fact, which really does set the scene for what's going to come for the next few issues. And then you have the Fantastic Four breaking up. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find really interesting is Kirby does a sequence of, you know, in a, in a way, it's very cinematic. It's like when you want to have some time pass between they're all hanging out in, you know, the Wakandan, you know, uh, club lounge. Um, and then. And then cut to them like putting on their clothes and getting their gifts and getting ready to leave Wakanda. Like Kirby throws in an inhuman sequence. So it comes, it feels on the one hand, it feels very natural in terms of the Fantastic Four. You're like, oh, right. Like they're here, they're enjoying themselves, but now it's time to go home. And, but the scene in between is really a. It's a, there's something coming. But of course, by the time you get to the end and look at it, it really is kind of a, you do have a little bit of the, well, why was that scene there? You know? <laughs> well, also something that's, when you read these issues in in uh, sequence, mm-hmm. as opposed to a month apart, when you go, you know, I'm reading issue 54 and I'm reading issue 55, one after another. Yeah. You realize how amazingly, uh, seemingly arbitrary the inhuman sequences are. Yes. And how... They're not contradictory as such, but there's not a through line. Well, in fact, they are weirdly contradictory, at least at the well, level of Maximus yeah, here. Yeah, because Ma- Maximus mm-hmm. is, uh, has a very uneven, to be polite, mm-hmm. characterization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and so does, not exactly Black Bolt's characterization, but the way that others talk about Black Bolt. Yes. Uh, they clearly haven't worked out the resolution as it's going to appear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in yeah. the early issues, yeah, yeah, uh, because you have comments which just do not make sense mm-hmm. the way that things eventually end up. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah, the, the the inhuman sequences are very unsatisfying. I'd be very curious to see someone make a comic that is just the inhuman sequences. Right, it it would be really weird because uh, at, at the risk of jumping ahead. Um, it really turns the Inhumans into the world's greatest white trash family. You know what I mean? Like all they do over the course of these six issues is, well, there, there's other stuff that happens, but the, but there's always a point where the action happens like halfway through the two page sequence. And it's almost inevitably one of the other Inhumans coming up and smacking Maximus. You know, he's basically the redheaded stepchild of the Inhumans. Like, it's basically just them arguing in their trailer park for like 
five issues and getting upset and running over and cuffing him. And then, you know, it's like there's like three issues of that. And then we build to the absorb a bomb, which is uh, which we'll get to because that. Oh, my God, the absorb a bomb. So, <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah, so much as in humans. Uh, when we return to the Fantastic Four. Yes. They have been given special gifts. Yes. By the Black Panther. The Black Panther, after his two issue uh, introduction, mm-hmm. falls into a really weird place in Fantastic Four mythology, starting with this issue. Yeah. Where he is the guy who gives the heroes stuff. Yeah, he. I hate to say it. I hate to say it because if nothing else, it's a term that is coined many years after. But the Black Panther kind of becomes a magical Negro you know, to the Fantastic Four, starting with this issue in the sense of, I love you guys so much, let me give you everything that you need, you know? And... Yeah, and, and everything that you need, almost literally. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's amazing. It can be technology, it can be wisdom, it can be whatever. Yeah. And, and there's there's parts, and we'll get to it when Claw comes back, mm-hmm. but there's there's parts where just, he, he does exist to make the others shine. Mm-hmm. And yet he has no uh, agency no. within himself at all. Yeah. Before we get to that, we have this scene in particular, which I want to talk about because he's given everyone gifts. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, descriptions of all the gifts with the exception of Mr. Fantastic's, arguably. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives Sue, quote, the latest fashions from Paris and Rome mm-hmm. here in the heart of the jungle, which, again... There's the attitude of Stanley's dialogue. Yes, is uh, eye-openingly depressing. Hilariously, he gives Johnny a sonic fishing pole, like something Tony Stark might have invented. Yes. I, okay, I'm not sure that's like anything Tony Stark would have invented. And also, a sonic fishing pole. What? Uh, gives the thing an exercise machine, I guess. Yes, an ex- the, the the ultra most powerful portable exerciser on Earth. Is yes. Called. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he gives Wyatt something that Wyatt it says in thought balloon narration. He doesn't say this out loud. A book of international athletic world records, including an entire section devoted to my father's career. How did he know? Mm-hmm. Which you think would be leading up to something? Yes, totally. It's not yeah. spoilers. Yeah, it's not yeah. Wyatt. At this point, is still a mystery. Mm-hmm. When he's introduced in issue fifty, they make a point out of the fact that there's something special about him. Yes. But Johnny doesn't listen. Yeah. That is then returned to, I think, at least once, if not twice, mm-hmm. in the intervening issues between then and here. And yep. then you have this comment. And so you really have a, what's going on with Wyatt? He's mm-hmm. clearly a great dude, mm-hmm. as the next few issues are, are going to demonstrate. But there's some secrets going on with his father. Yeah. You know? There, there's there's a, something there. And there's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, it never comes to anything. It really doesn't. Well, I, and I think it's again. I I think there's some stuff that, um, you know, I I feel like I don't necessarily. Um, I'm not opposed to Stan like sort of trying to seed the field with stories, you know, to see where we come back. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, but I part of me is still like. I was so grateful and relieved that issue 54 through 60 had nothing to do with that goddamn football coach who just wanted to win one more big game. He, but, does, he does show up again. Does he? Damn it. Okay, well, yeah, at least they get around to resolving up. it. He shows yeah. up when Crystal shows up. 
Oh yeah, but but not you don't see him winning the big game or losing the big game. He's just there, and then Crystal. Oh yeah, there I, don't, and... I don't think you ever get payoff to that either. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's just stuff that like stands like stands kind of along for the ride. I feel that's my whole thing, and I I think there are times where he's like, yeah, I'll put this together, and this will lead. You know, like I'm going to sow the seeds for something that's going to pay off later. Uh, but I, I, but I think there are times where, you know, the, the amount of control he has over the ship or possibly as Marvel continues to expand, you know, um, and his duties are kind of all over the map. Like he has less focus on this stuff. You know, it, it is worth keeping in mind for me. And if nothing else that, that, you know, Lee and Kirby are both doing a ton of books at this point. They have been for a, a while in a way, but you know, Lee's responsibilities outside of just writing and editing have, have picked up so much that, you know, even as he starts increasing the bullpen, um, you get a sense he's maybe just not that, not as connected as he would like. Mm-hmm. So well, it, it's interesting. You lay all that in Lee's, uh, because it seems like a very Kirby thing to me. Oh, the idea that there's a story and it never pays off. Yeah, and it just, like Kirby's totally like, I'll deal with this later. What's Kirby, this? Yeah. Press of John. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, no, 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 definitely. Well, like I said, there's a lot that I'm willing to um, to to throw his way, but it, but how do I put it? When there's events happening in the book, then I'm like, yeah, that's Kirby. And there's a lot of this stuff that's here, like with the Inhumans or even the Silver Surfer, where it's like the reoccurring stuff and it, it doesn't quite seem to cohere, but it's in there. This, there's a lot of scenes, and I feel this picks up a lot in the issues as we go on, where Stan just starts stuffing the panels with verbiage you know, and so you get you get a panel like that where they're all looking at their gizmos on on page seven. You know, you've got six figures in one panel and all of them are talking. You know what I mean? Like Kirby is the sort of guy that I feel would throw a little bit of business into for for each of the characters but he wouldn't necessarily have them saying or thinking or doing something you know what i mean like it might be something as rudimentary as oh this book is really interesting as opposed to lee being like oh here's something like how did he know about my father kind of deal you know mm-hmm. i could be wrong i mean that but but i do agree that that the pacing that is going on is um is is definitely a shared fault I think. Um, But part of it, of course, is for me, it's so easy to forgive with Kirby because like, for example, that little portable exerciser, that thing just stuck in my head for the longest time, Graham, maybe because of the little (laughs) bell thingy on the top. Cause I really kind of had that thing of like, it's that weird, like, I get how that works. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really make any sense with, you know, in the world, but the whole idea that as the thing like presses on it, the energy creates, you know, that he creates, like makes the little bell doodah at the top, give off more energy and more resistance. I'm like, I can get, I so get that in like just that one little weirdo panel. And it's, there's the point. Also that panel is great because uh, the things grumpy face. Yes. 
is is wonderful. It is. It really is. So I think there's another thing that I do want to keep that I, I should definitely say at this point in the issue and, and going forward is just what top-notch work like Kirby and Sinnott are doing. Like the storytelling sort of may or be suffering. I mean, it definitely does suffer at various points, but holy shit, does it look great. It looks really know? good. There's a panel on uh, page eight. Mm-hmm. It's the second panel, mm-hmm. which has terrible dialogue, but Johnny's face in that panel in particular. Yes. It's so great. It's mm-hmm. so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that is the panel where, uh, why it says if the flaming ranger would like an oversized tonto <laughs> on its side <laughs> when why it was introduced uh, in issue 50 in, in the last episode you said that you're really happy that he gets in there without anyone making mm-hmm. an engine joke mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you get this yeah there, there's there's one prior like at least it's a full issue before it happens but yeah that one's kind of what's great is like you get that and then thank god it 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 disappears for huge chunks of time. Wyatt is just a, in a way, he sort of reminds me because, in part, you had posted pictures on the Wait What Pod Tumblr um, of Challenges of the Unknown. He almost reminds me of a character that's like the Challengers or maybe even one of the dudes in the Howling Commandos. He's just a guy, he's one of Kirby's hyper competent guys. You know, and, but well, I, that's interesting because I, I get nervous with my white liberalness mm-hmm. that he's almost close to like you said for the for the Black Panther, mm-hmm. the magical Negro. Mm-hmm. He's the magical Indian. He he's yeah. he's so hyper competent. Yes, and so more importantly, in service to Johnny. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. He sure he has agency in that he makes explicit that he's choosing to do this, right? But he has no wants or desires of his own. No, he really is there to be good at everything, yeah, and a great guy, like just a a nice guy. Mm -hmm. But he's there to service Johnny's uh, arc in this story, yeah, and and that makes me super nervous. And and that makes a lot of sense because you're right. I mean, it's it's it is a little. and and he is strangely in, um, just unperturbed by everything that they encounter. You yeah, know? it's wonderful. He meets Lockjaw, and he's just like, it's a giant dog! <laughs> well, actually, okay. yeah, exactly. Well, they end up in another dimension, and he's like, uh, yeah, maybe if we break these things off and use them as food. Like, I mean, on the one hand, he's totally, again, hyper-competent, but there is no, there's no, at no point is he, I mean, I mean, you find him, there he is, I mean, I still get a kick out of the, the fucking gyro cruiser basically rolling like this, like, you know, unstoppable bubble over all this terrain, you know. It's so, okay, so we should explain for the, the listeners who are not reading along. Oh, yes. Um, Johnny says, at it, this party at the Black Panthers, that he is not going back to America with the rest of the team. Instead, he is going to try and find a way to break through the Great Barrier that is keeping the Inhumans hostage. Yeah. Wyatt says that he would like to go with Johnny. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, they've also both just started their college semester, but all of a sudden they have a lot of vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, sure. Uh, the Black Panther 
being the guy who now just just gives shit to to the Fantastic Four. It's like, why don't I just give you my gyro cruiser? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a mobile outer bubble with a gyroscopically operated driving unit, which remains constantly upright. What I want to say about this very quickly is, with all the trailers for Jurassic World happening, yes, there's that they have their own gyro cruiser in that trailer. Oh, do they? Uh, yeah, and yeah. So I'm seeing this and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's where they got it from. Yeah, totally. Jack I mean... Kirby created the the human hamster wheel <laughs> way, way back when, and it's pretty great. It's pretty great. I mean, also, it... why it's comments when. They roll, they roll out the gyro cruiser. Yes, is maybe the most wonderfully offensive thing, uh, <laughs> wrapped up as Stanley being a right-on dude. Yeah. Uh, did we are now by this point in the third issue of Wakanda is much better at everything than you are, America. Yes. And somehow White still feels the need to go. Apparently, the talent of inventive genius is not limited to any one place, culture, or climb. Mm-hmm. Really, really, White. Really. <laughs> I do love that. There's also the apparently, you know, like there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Yeah, too, I, I, you know? I don't. Like, I, you know, yeah. he did go. To, he, the Black Panther did go to American schools. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, or however you want to put it. Maybe yeah. he learned it there. Yeah, he's imported it from someone. You know, uh, this is maybe this is Tony Stark's. Um, so yes, the page of the gyro cruiser, like moving through stuff, um, just rolling through the endless deserts, uh, I guess of some section of Africa. It's like a desert where the sand is blue and there's some green rocks. Okay. But you know, I got to give them, for me, I got to give them credit because on this page, which is uh, page nine, you know, Apart from two panels, which are shots of Wyatt and Johnny inside the gyro cruiser, you basically have a bubble and you have lots of sand. If you do not color the blue sand of the sandstorm differently from the sand that collapses underneath the, the, the crevice or whatever... I don't think you would have any fucking idea what you were, what was going on. Even, even with the description of, you know, of Stan, like hopefully having everyone. Yeah, Stan's dialogue is wonderful in this scene because yeah. he is quite clearly like, listen, Jack, th- this is a bit too abstract. Why don't I just have the characters tell you what's going on? So you get, Wyatt, look at the altimeter. We're suddenly dropping. Yeah. The sand must be giving way beneath us. We're plummeting into a crevice. Totally. Totally. It's like, I've got to tell you. Because re- otherwise, you're just like, I do what? Like, I'm sure it. he yeah. probably did some double takes on that one. So, yeah. but, but, and, and because this is a thing, I do want to give Stan some credit when Wyatt talks about, like, it's so quiet in here and so completely still. And, and then, of course, Johnny wakes up and he's like, I can't believe I slept through this, but it's so insulated. I didn't feel a thing. It really gives a great little bit of extra experience to it, you know? I I do. Part of me was like, oh, yeah, I really got what it was like to be. It's not just you're rolling in a giant bubble and being like, oh, I think I'm going to throw up. It's it's like a weirdly disquietingly smooth ride. Well, you even have that in the second panel on page nine where you have like Johnny's going to bed. Yes. Right. In this bubble. Mm-hmm. And there's why it just like, like I've got a thermosk. I'll, I'll stay up for a while. Totally. 
totally. You know, there's the really this element of like we're just in here. We don't even really have to steer. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's kind just of, happening. It's a it's a great little road trip panel. Like it's like okay, here here we are. Um, so the they the ship gets washed down into this uh into the bottom of a deep underground crypt where it's no ordinary crevice. No, it sure is not. It sure is not. It's a top-notch crevice. And uh, again, you've got Kirby, like, he's got a monster that is coming out of, you know, it, it's basically a giant bass relief, which I remember as a kid not quite getting that. Like, even though Johnny helpfully slash Stanley he says it. Help, helpfully explains it. Yeah, I was just young enough that I was like, but what about the, huh? Yeah. What happened to the monster? Yeah, exactly. Johnny's literally flying, flying towards the monster there, you guys, and then he just goes inside the room. Well, let's face the it. monster not stop him? There is some weird story story shortcutting happening in later issues that's about that. Well, there's bad. some... I, I think that's actually what's going on here. Yeah. I think you have Lee having to say the thing about Bash Relief because otherwise... Cause you could definitely look at that panel and be like, oh, there's a monster appearing out of nowhere. Yeah, basically. You know, and he sort of melts his way through. Um, and page 11, panel one, is maybe one of my favorite panels of all time. Because it is it is basically a medieval astronaut asleep on the toilet. It does not get better <laughs> than that. With with the evil eye phallically sticking oh, Super phallically. It, and it's great because it really is. It is a phallus kind of has a little bit of vagina action going on at the end. It's got something for everybody. In other words, there's hieroglyphics on the space toilet. It's just the best. It really is. Um, I have to say, I do not dick Prester John, who uh, Prester is... As, who is the character on the toilet. We yes. Yeah. Um, he's such a weirdly dull character. Yes. Despite his setup. He should be super exciting. Yeah. He he's a character who has existed for centuries. Yeah. To to guard this, what he calls the supreme weapon, the evil eye. Yeah. And and yet he's remarkably dull. Yeah. He he is super dull. And and part of that may be, I mean, part of it is we see, especially for people who've who've read a lot of Kirby, it is very much like Jack Kirby's tropes here like this is stuff that he goes on to really go to town with the idea that there are you know characters who have existed since the far past and when you look back into the far past you see that there's technology that people oh, later it's, go it's, on to assume it's is magic it's like it's almost like a dry run for demon in so many ways yeah Master yeah. john it really really is close to things he'll do later in demon mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Or even, even later in the Eternals, I feel, you know, it's, these are things that he comes back to. It may be part of the problem is, is that, that Prester John has absolutely no personality. He's basically kind of the, an, uh, an exposition gas bag, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, it, it's, he's not just an exposition gas bag. There's no... He serves no purpose, even within his own story, which is about him. Yes. Yeah. I the, mean, the, the, right. the Prester John plot, the A plot of this issue. Yes. Is weirdly, it's so haphazard. Yeah. That you kind of get to the end of the issue and you're like, okay, 
Mm-hmm. I guess that happens. Right. And, and important things happen in this issue. Yeah. Uh, not only do you get Johnny and Wyatt going off on their own, mm-hmm. but you have through, I think it must be described as the most ultimate coincidence, Presser John creates exactly the same shield around mm-hmm. Johnny and Wyatt that the, as the one that is around the humans. Yes. So because Johnny and Wyatt get out, mm-hmm. you have the, oh, so we know that this is not an impenetrable shield after all. Yeah. Like that is an important piece of subtext that is given. Yes. Yeah. Um, but despite that, <laughs> it's... It feels amazingly lackluster. It feels entirely pointless. Yes. Well, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I, one is part of me is like, I just feel like Kirby is more excited by what he's designing and what he's showing possibly than the story that he's telling and or some of the stuff that he's talking about is are, are strange um, I mentioned in this in the last podcast, and I'll say it here again, issue 54 and issue 55 are very interesting in that they are both more or less solo stories of, you know, tales of so- members of the Fantastic Four without the rest of the larger team present for the majority of it. And in the case of Johnny and Ben, they are performing... In incredibly anti-heroic ways. Yes, they they are pretty much the villains of these two stories. Yes, and I think that is kind of an amazing thing to to do to to sort of pull your team apart and then say how these two guys, left to their own devices, are ridiculous. Are 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 so driven by their own passions and demons that they are um it it's it's an impressively sort of gray area that that they get pushed into in this story by the way i should point out did you notice how that on page uh 16 there's a scene of action and it's just from uh you know karnak slapping uh, gorgon slapping around maximus Mm -hmm. just like his head because because, yeah you you go back to to the Inhumans, again, kind of pointlessly. Pointlessly. And even to get an action thing in there, there's an awareness that it's got to be action, and it's really a feint. You know, there's a, yeah. the, the action of like, oh my god, everyone's throwing end over end as if the Enterprise, you know, just was hit with like full phasers. And it's just because, you know, Gorgon got fed up with Maximus's bullshit, which goes on to happen at least one or two more times. Yeah, I exactly. Think, you know? but yeah, Gorgon really needs to take a moment and yeah. about his <laughs> um, so the, the remainder of the issue I kind of want to get through this relatively quickly because I yes. feel like we've, we're spending more time on it than we should because it is such a, a weird Minor dull issue, issue. Yeah. Um, Johnny ends up stealing the evil eye which is the, the, the device that mm-hmm. Prester John has been protecting at this point for seven centuries we find out yeah. because it is the object that created and then destroyed the shell that is identical to the Inhumans yes in stealing it, uh, he basically starts a chain reaction that will see the evil eye destroy itself. Yeah. Uh, implode. Uh, which, for those of us who have read our Engelhart, no, that's not actually what happens. Mm. But for the intense purposes of this story, it is. Yes. 
Um, and because Johnny steals it and Johnny is so selfish and enraged, it falls to Presser John and Wyatt to to stop him. Yeah. And they do so by essentially knocking it out of his hands just before it explodes. Yeah. That that's your plot, everyone. Yeah. And maybe it's it's such an odd issue because you think maybe they were so drunk off their power of introducing the Silver Surfer who would really hit with fans mm-hmm. that they were like, and I'm going to introduce like this Prester John guy. He's from the Knights of the Round Table. He's been asleep for seven centuries. He's right. going to have to adapt to the modern world. Right. But, you know, you're not going to see him again for years. No, and and it's a weird, like, again, there's a little bit of that Kirby, like, well, I gave you all sorts of great stuff and just a bajillion different ideas. Kind of what more do you want? Like, I'm willing to, to lay that at his feet. That being said, I know we have to move forward and should, but I want to come back and talk about the whole situation with Black Bolt, who we see sitting in the dark and powering the great absorba bomb with the energy from his body. Uh, and then um, you see him start to scream as he's overwhelmed by the energy. And we, we basically cut away to the finale of, you know, why shooting, you know, the, the, the evil eye out of the human torch's hand. And again, for a 20 page comic, there are six pages in here cut up across the different book of the Inhumans, and not really doing anything. I mean, yes, it builds to dissolves. the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, even after it, so the, the last you see of the Inhumans in this issue is Black Bolt screaming. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's a big thing, which you have a character saying, for the first time since the catastrophe, he's making sound, he's screaming. Yeah. Uh, and then the caption goes, personal notes, we had thought of titling the story of Black Bolt Screams, which, you know, they're like, this is a big deal. Yeah. But it just utterly fails to land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And again, to give Lee credit, he does provide that whole idea, like, to even get a sense of what's, of trying to make it resonant by saying that it's the first time that he screamed since, you know, the big accident, is, is does give it a little bit of juice to it, that, that otherwise it's just kind of like, what, what what's happening and why, you know? Um, that being said, I have I have a, a huge theory that I'll I'll go on to talk about later when the absorber bomb picks up because we should move on to issue fifty five, right? We should uh, yeah. issue fifty five, as the cover says, featuring the peerless power of the Silver Surfer. The story is called "When Strikes the Silver Surfer." Yeah. Hey Jeff, what do you think this issue is about? I'm guessing that it's the Silver Surfer. It it is, and he's he's back. He's more muscular than before, yeah. and he's got the first hint of shorts. Yes, yeah, it's true. Well, the shorts I always feel like kind of come and go. It's amazing how much you see the Silver Surfer in these early issues, and he's 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 impressively naked. Um, Apart from that... when he's wearing shorts, uh, the plot of this issue to do it super quickly because again, this is a relatively minor issue, although it does set up something that is is going to be more important. Yeah. Is while Reed and Sue go off on their honeymoon, Ben decides that he is going to get with Alicia. Mm-hmm. Alicia has uh, secluded herself in a retreat so mm-hmm. that she can concentrate on her art, where she is interrupted by the Silver Surfer and then by Ben. Ben mm-hmm. decides that because the Silver Surfer's there, obviously he's trying to make time with his girl 
a fight ensues. Indeed. Indeed. The end. The end. Uh, thing i love ben Grimm a lot mm -hmm. i really do uh ben Grimm in this issue is such a dick he is totally a dick again it is very much like he is arguably even more of an anti-hero than johnny was in issue 54 like he just loses his temper temper and refuses essentially to be calmed down by anything that anyone says um arguably you could even have a situation where depending on how lee or kirby spin it he basically turns around hops on his on his jet cycle and just runs which is something that we've seen him do when fighting the hulk too um in this book it's very much you know stan gives him a thought balloon being like oh man i totally you know he doesn't the Silver Surfer is like powering up and turning into a massive yes. walking atom bomb. It's and up to me to get him out of here and fast. The jet cycle. It's my only chance. Exactly. So what does he do? He flies him from a semi-abandoned island of which there's oh, only amazing. Alicia and into Housekeeper a into New York City and into the warehouse district where again... It's that, that is a, a, an amazing moment, isn't it? I remember yeah. reading that being like, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, like Stan, you're trying your best here, but it, the art is very clear. He goes from a, an island where no one is there, yes. just the middle of the fucking city. Yes, yeah, and it is very much to me. Uh, the idea is the thing being like, "Holy shit, I'm outclassed. I've got to get back to the Baxter Building and figure out a way to beat this guy." You know, yeah, um, yeah. and it, and it's so. There's so much about this that is wacky. For example, so once they get back to the city. Mm -hmm. The Silver Surfer gives him the surfboard. Yes. Like, just hands him the surfboard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I'm going to break your surfboard. I'm going to break your surfboard. I'm going to break your surfboard. <laughs> and he... Again, Lee is doing his best mm -hmm. to to mitigate the, the, the petulant child that is visible from the art. Yes. But but this is an issue where Ben Graham is just a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, it it is not. Kirby has a far less sentimental view of, in a way, even his favorite characters. Um, that that Stan. I mean, I think we've talked about this. The infamous Stan can allow anyone to be snuck up on, which is a standard Kirby. You know, that's how you bring down the hero. So there's so many things that that Lee is just like absolutely not. You cannot have this happen. Um, and so he does his way of like making sure that the thing cowardly flees in as heroic manner as possible, you know. And it it really adds to a great sense of like, huh, you know. It's Ben's kind of a bully. Yeah, he kind of is. He kind you know, of is. He, yeah, he is all about violence mm -hmm. until someone is bigger than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then unless it is. You have your moment of supreme, uh, you know, heroics. Right. Unless you have your moment of, this guy's gonna kill me, but I've got to do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then Bench is gonna fucking run. Yeah. Yeah. I, he he is a little bit of a bully. Complete, complete with the the you know big loud, 
you know, shove, pushing people around and then the ridiculously thin feelings and the tendency to mope never really, uh, that's such a perfect way of putting it, Graham, such a, such an all too sadly perfect way. Um, isn't there, it, there's a, sorry, on you go. I, I was just going to say, did you notice this is one of the things that, that again, to make sure that I'm not putting anyone too high on a pedestal here. It is a shame that after introducing the gyro cruiser in the previous issue as a land-based vehicle, it's basically flying flies. in this issue. <laughs> yes. I was just like, oh, oh Jack, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, maybe he hadn't seen the script for the previous issue. <laughs> maybe it's not flying, it's just falling. Maybe. Maybe there you are, see it. There yeah. are uh, a lot of cutaways to... I, I, I say a lot. I think there's only maybe two or three mm-hmm. cutaways to... Um, Johnny and and Wyatt in this issue. Yeah. They essentially take the place of the inhumans. Yeah. There yeah. there are no inhumans in this issue, but there are cutaways instead. Yes. To to Johnny and Wyatt. Yeah. And those cutaways reveal that Johnny and Wyatt have been discovered by Lockjaw, who has escaped mm-hmm. the the inhumans uh prison. Which you'll find the next time you see the inhumans in the next issue, they don't seem to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The humans don't seem to realize because they're like, "Oh, how will anyone ever get out of here?" Yes, and you're kind of like, "Wait, but how did Lock? Like, do you guys not know Lockjaw? Do, do you guys really don't know that Lockjaw's gone, or, or for that matter, do, why do you pretend? What? Yeah. So yeah, what, what is going on? Um, but I want to draw your attention and all of our listeners' attention to panel three on page ten, and I want to ask you, Jeff, does anything seem odd about that panel? Oh God! It, okay, hold on. Let me get there. That's the panel where he's running to kick the the boulder at uh, at the Silver Surfer. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, you know what? I'm such no, a nothing. Nothing strikes you as odd about that. For example, the thing having two left feet. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> okay, I have to say that I I made a special note of of panels three and four because i love the reversal uh the of the camera angle that it goes from being right behind the thing to right in front of him and the way he kicks it and the rock comes and it's like kirby puts you like right in the middle of that action and i i just thought that it was and you could almost imagine because of the way it's laid out on the page yeah that uh if this were a movie Mm -hmm. that the camera could follow his foot right and then stay with the rock Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it could be one smooth motion. Yeah, it could it could be one smooth motion, or it could even be just a cut at the point of impact. It totally is a beautiful uh, a little juxtaposition because ruined cause... by the fact that Kirby has given the thing two left. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. Well, you know, okay. So my notes literally said about it is is what's great is is that how I literally say this because I'm such a chump. I, I wrote down what's great about it is how Kirby and Sinnott have the thing nailed down drawing wise. He looks right from every angle, but if there was an anatomy problem, could we tell? Question mark. And the answer is yes. If you're Graham McMillan, you <laughs> yes. can tell. If you're Jeff you Lester, you cannot. You you can't tell. You can't tell because of his toes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but that aside, that <laughs> utterly essential part aside, I do I did wonder if in thinking about this this uh this little thing, um, no pun intended, if that 
that one of the great charms of the thing for Kirby is, is he really doesn't have to worry about him, about the anatomy of the character and clearly didn't, you know, he can draw him from any angle and you can't really say if it looks right or wrong. And in fact, what's interesting to me is how at a certain point he does look right with Kirby and Senate here. And even a little bit before with Chick Stone or whatever, the, the Ben Grimm that we know is totally in place. And yes. so someone like you can't say like, that is not right, you know, but, but it is amazing. But I will be met by someone like you who's like, but it is. Yeah, I'm just like, mm, this is the thing. Maybe he's got two left feet. You know, that kind of thing. I'm like, I oh. can tell he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you ever seen both of his feet in panel before? The answer is yes, but still. <laughs> maybe, I think I made my point. his feet is reversed. Uh, <laughs> while we're talking about his art. Yes. The uh, page 16. Mm. The, the first two panels where Johnny and Wyatt meet Yes. Uh, Lockjaw. Mm -hmm. The second panel in particular feels very old school Kirby mm -hmm. in a way that he's not really appeared for a while because you have the, the completely sight on profile mm -hmm. shot. But also, there's something about the way that Wyatt in particular is inked in those panels mm -hmm. that makes me think of Vinnie Coletta. Mm. You know, it's really interesting because the very first page of this, the wind strikes the silver surfer, and it's like. Um... You know, you got Reed switching, you know, they're, Reed and Sue are in their normal dress and they're getting ready to go out on more of their vacation or whatever. That always looks very Vince Coletta-y to me. Yeah, there, there's moments in this issue where I wonder if someone else helped out in the X. Yeah, yeah. If someone jumped in to, to try and help handle these things, that Cynic could really only do so much. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question. Well, but there's, uh, I, I'm going to back this up, Jeff. Mm-hmm. With some speculation, which is, I wonder if that is actually what's happening, because they're working on the annual at the same time as this. Oh, yeah. The annual comes out sense. next month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so, and and the annual, I think, might be one of the reasons why you get so little Johnny and Wyatt in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, or even, you know, there's not nearly as many, you know, you're not juggling three storylines the way that you did, you know, kind of in the last issue sort of, you know, it's, or it's, in the future issues. Again, it's a very uh, slight story mm -hmm. because it comes down to the thing the server server fights and then they stop and the server server's like, no hard feelings, you guys are human, and then flies off. And it, and this is this is one of those weirdo things that makes me wonder if, again, like, because because the server surfer comes back and encounters Doom after this, you know, like literally the issue after this, not issue 56, but issue 57, uh, and is such a naive, um, like, hmm, I do wonder, like, it, it's fascinating to me that there's a way in which the Silver Surfer is, it, I think Kirby's trying to make up, and Lee, sure, why not, is trying to make a point, which is, is that the Silver Surfer Although the the thing is like a huge asshole on this, um, he's basically the Silver Surfer. Is I'm okay with it, you know that it's that it's not until he encounters outright deception and cruelty that he basically decides that the human race is fucked, you know, 
Like he's kind of making somewhat like when he bump, comes back and he encounters Alicia and he's like, well, I've seen everything to know with the world. And oh, my God, this place sucks ass. Like, you know, yeah, I, I can I can stomach no more. Um, it's the fact that, he, that Stan has him saying that at that point to me kind of undercuts the the Jack Kirby like, oh, I'm giving you flowers. Boop. And again, the that last panel of the thing looking up at the skies it to me it's very easy to see like kirby being like wow he gave me flowers and i totally beat on that guy i'm a jerk and instead yeah. stan swings it more to uh like he's gone but what's going to happen the next time that he's back you know there's a yes. little bit of that foreboding like we're mm-hmm. supposed to be afraid of the surfer you know mm-hmm. for for good reasons and I well, in part because of where the surfer's power is going to go next. Yes. Yeah. But before we get there, we should talk about Fantastic Four Annual Four. Oh God, yes. Not not officially an annual Fantastic Four King Size Special Four. Oh, good um, to know. In part because it, the new material is only twenty pages. That's right. The the rest of the book is reprints of Fantastic Four twenty five and twenty six. Yes. Let's just talk about the new material. Thank you. The torch. That was featuring, and this featuring will let the listeners who haven't read this know just how scattered the story is. Featuring the Mad Thinker, Logjaw, the Fabulous Fantastic Four, the Amazing Android, Wide Wingfoot, Quasimodo, oh sorry, and the electrifying entity known as Quasimodo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's conceived and written by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Stan Lee is the scenarist. Yes. And Jack Kirby is the illustrator. Inked mm-hmm. and lettered by Joe Sinnott and Sam Rosen. Joe Sinnott, delineator. Sam Rosen, calligrapher. And Irving Forbush is now being uh, mentioned in credits for people who don't know their absolutely unimportant Marvel minutiae. <laughs> Irving Forbush was a fictional Marvel employee. Oh, wow. Who showed up in, a, I think, almost all of the Marvel titles uh, this era in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, often in the credits, but he later in the pages of Not Brand Egg became his own character as yes. Forbush Man. That's right. Who would later, if you're me, uh, you'd discover in Marvel Age, the 1980s Marvel in-house magazine. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're me, unfortunately, you actually had like three or four issues of Not Brand Egg, and you sort of wonder where they went. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're God, he's Edge sold them. Cause then, I know they reprinted it recently, didn't they? Did they? Yeah, they did. They did a. Uh, I want to say they did a Masterworks that was only available in a slip in the slipcover with the other Masterworks books. Oh man, that sounds about right. <laughs> they did something like that with, with the idea that it was going to be released later, but you know, it's Marvel, so it'll probably never be released. Later. Exactly. Exactly. When will we see that? Who knows, true believers? But really, uh, who, who, do you want to buy it? Eh. Yes. Okay, then. So, I the plot had, of this. Yes, the Sorry, plot. You go. No, you go. You're, you're I, being I was going to say, the plot of this is that uh, for, for seemingly no real reason, um, yeah. the Human Torch ends up separated from the rest of the team. Yep. It, uh, he started off uh, separated from this team, but Lockjaw then teleports... Uh, Johnny and Wyatt and himself back to the Baxter building and then, I shit you not listeners, because he drinks too much milk, then teleports Johnny somewhere else. Yeah. Milk 
it's fucking dangerous. Oh, actually, it doesn't teleport Johnny somewhere else. Johnny actually, because you see on page six, he literally says, I can't hang around doing nothing waiting for that fool dog to help me find Crystal. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. I misunderstood. Sorry, Lockjaw just teleports himself away. And yes. Then he just uh, flies out of the Baxter building and according to the next panel, into deep space. Yes. <laughs> Which looks awesome. <laughs> so strange. Before uh, ending up in a desert in the middle of nowhere so that he can destroy shit. Only to meet the original Human Torch android, which has been reactivated by the Mad Thinker as part of a plan to, I don't know, be a dick, I guess. Um, they fight. It's kind of a pointless fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... Human Human Torch wins, as opposed to the robot Human Torch, who, mm-hmm. if you think about it, isn't a Human Torch. Um, yes. They then confront the Mad Thinker. The Mad Thinker is then defeated. I oh, he runs away, but he's also kind of defeated by his thinking computer called Cosimodo. Oh man, the 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 and, and yeah, and then. Wyatt and Johnny leave with Lockjaw again. So, <laughs> so things that are, I have to say, this annual was so underwhelming. My main note was really kind of a eh with like a question mark. It feels amazingly perfunctory. Yeah. Uh, and perfunctory in a sense of you kind of think that either Lee or Kirby did it because people were writing in going, hey, what about that original Human Torch? And they're like, fine, fine, right? whatever. We'll do an original Human Torch story, yeah. whatever. Is mm-hmm. this going to make you shut up? Fine. <laughs> it, it does seem that way. Well, and I think there is, there is a little bit of the... There's, at I mean, this we point... have a panel at the start of the story where the thing complains yeah. that they're getting too much fan mail about the Human Torch. Oh, good call. And is he the original Human Torch? That's right. Yeah, that that's that's probably a super tight cue. Um, I have to say that I, uh, among the many things that I adored, uh, or rather, among the few things I adored. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot I was talking about <laughs> Annual Four, uh, Page Sixteen, Annual Three. Oh no, no, Annual Two, uh, Panel Two, where Annual Two, Panel Two, where in one panel everyone has to talk and explain why the thing isn't getting burned by the human by the original human torch but that reed is and allow me please to to if you don't mind catch an ear of this naturalistic dialogue hey that anti burn lotion of yours really works i feel like i'm holding on to an icicle take it easy hot stuff you ain't going nowhere what about your hand mr richards did you burn it only slightly, Wyatt. Sue rubbed a thick coating of liquid asbestos solution on my gloves first. I bet she did. It was 100% effective with Ben because his skin is so much stronger. I'm like, my God, that is so much verbiage to explain why one person's okay and another one's not. I was just like, oh, Stan, oh, Stan, you're working too hard here. You know? well, he really is working too hard because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. And then in the next panel... The whole thing about Lockjaw, you literally have six characters in there, and again, all of them are talking. Look how loaded down with verbiage that is, you know? Well, there, it is 
it's a wacky ass story where you really get the feeling that Lee was like, I've got to try and hold this shit together. Yeah. <laughs> because reading the art, it is, it's, and we've talked about this before, it's Kirby plotting like a kid does. Yeah. This happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, the end. Yes. Well, or even, I mean, there's there's times where even Stan looks like he's winging it. Like, there's so many mentions of Quasimodo here. Like, no, you know, basically the Human Torch is, the sorry, the original Human Torch keeps going like, I cannot be helped while Quasimodo lives. And there's several other statements where it's like, ah, if you only knew the danger that is Quasimodo. It's like, no, I cannot, you know, bear one instant more if we all get our hands on Quasimodo. And essentially what happens is the mad thinker presses a button on his cellular phone or remote TV remote control and a ray shoots out of Quasimodo's face and hits a detonator lever. <laughs> it's so great, isn't it? Quasimodo's so dangerous because he could look at a button yeah, and press it. And trigger it faster. But of course, he can only be activated by someone else triggering a button. So you're just like... I mean, really, if you think about it, the Mad Thinker is like the ultimate Silicon Valley dude. Like, he's totally like, I've disrupted button pushing. You just push this button and my handy middleman comes in and pushes all your buttons. Ta-da, Quasimodo, the future is now. You know, and I mean, it's like, there is nothing that Quasimodo does. And at the end, he's like, hello? Hello? Yeah, yeah so the end is, uh, the Mad Thinker clearly... His base is underwater, and he is shot up in an underwater, like in a submarine. Yes. But the dialogue goes, it's some sort of aqua chamber. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're over-explaining things, son. Yeah. Seriously. And Johnny, oddly, so at this point, the, the original Human Torch, the Robot Torch, let's just call him that, yes. has burned himself out as a result of Quasimodo because someone pressed a button, pressing another button. Yes. Um, and he's burned himself out. He's collapsed. Yeah. And for some reason, Johnny has to go, he brought the original torch back to defeat me. I wonder if he knows some other way to revive him again, which feels like it should come with like an asterisk and then a caption going, what do you think, readers? If you like the original return of the original Human Torch, let us know. Totally. Well, because I think he does have a little bit of a, I think even Stan is like, ah, you know, like, okay. <laughs> There's Carl Burgos and the original Human Torch. We end up reviving the Human Torch as the new Human Torch in Fantastic Four number one, in part because Carl Burgos is trying to get the rights back from the character. And we're like, no, no, we're still using him, but we're not really using him. So we're not really giving you any money on it. We offer to give Carl Burgos more work to kind of placate him for the fact that we're not giving him any money for the creation that he invented and wants his rights back to. And because he does such an insanely weird job of telling a couple of giant man stories, we basically have to cut him loose. He gets so angry, he burns all of his original artwork on the lawn. And yet, even I, Stan Lee, feel pretty bad about how we're treating the original Human Torch in this story, and maybe there's a way that we can bring him back so his, his death doesn't seem so pointless and needless and kind of just sad. And yet it is. The whole story is pointless and needless. It, and it, kind of just sad. Kind of just sad. I gotta say. It so is yeah, totally so you, true. So you get yeah. this story, and then you get two issues of reprint. So 
the issue is one third new story. Yeah. Uh, it is worth pointing out, however, this is just two annuals before the annuals become all reprint. Ooh, right. Yeah. So they're clearly thinking, well, that worked out okay. Well, <laughs> what if we just, what if we just make them all reprint from now on? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, we have said already, you know, this is a very odd run of issues, mm-hmm. but this is the the stinker of all of them it is it is the grand stinker because it really it becomes uh uh everything about it. it this would be the the contractual obligation album let's put it yeah, that way yeah you know? very much it's the here my dear of of fantastic pro comics <laughs> what a great reference you know a lot of people love here my dear you know i, so. I i'm sure they do probably <laughs> marvin gay's ex-wife's uh, uh, accountant more than any yeah, you know, if you say so, man. So anyway, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he did. Fifty-six. Yes, Claw, the murderous master of no, sound. Jeff, Dude, for the first have... time in a while, it's oh, all one sentence. Uh, the fabulous FF are trapped by the uncanny return of Claw, the murderous master of sound. Jeff's going to talk about all of this like this now. I probably should. Because because my oh, big reaction... No. Claw is a terrible character, but a fucking amazing design. Oh, the design is Can fantastic. Just talk about that yeah. first of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Claw yeah. looks amazing. Claw's yes. redesign is so great. Yeah. He's Good really job. fabulous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say that in an issue that is otherwise not one of the best. You know, and again, interesting my because favorite, of my favorite suddenly winging it uh, <laughs> compared with Kirby thing ever, it, ever, it, which is the first panel on page two. Yes, yes. Oh, there's this new vacuum engine. And to be fair, it does look like a big vacuum cleaner. Yes. You can't blame Lee for being like, fuck it, it's a vacuum cleaner. What is this big machine? It's a vacuum cleaner. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really does this look... This new vacuum engine from the dust on it, I'd say he hasn't touched it in days. What on earth can be urgent enough to be keeping him from that? I don't know, Sue. Maybe Reed has anything else in the world to do than yep. work on a room-sized vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is again, if you look at it, I mean... Look, I mean, how much time did Kirby spend drawing that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, did he plan it out? I mean, or no, is it I just... I don't think he did. Here's the thing. I'm not sure that Kirby spent a lot of time drawing it. I feel sorry for Joe Sinnott having to ink it. Okay, there's some inking, but I'm sorry. To me, there's little bits and pieces and telltale things on it that's like, Sinnott added some blacks to it. But that seems like the sort of... You know, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying Cinna designed it. I'm no, sure no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, I think Kirby just unconsciously, you know, drew some wonderful yeah. shapes right. that looked like it could be a machine. Yes, I think Kirby probably did that very quickly and probably enjoyed himself. I'm just imagining Sinnott then getting that page and knowing that he has to ink it. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Joe Sinnott, uh it Joe is... Sinnott is a goddamn prince. He really I is. I used to he... believe that Sinnott's interest was in that sort of machinery. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he has to draw, like in the next page as well, he has oh, to draw yeah. some crazy, he has to ink some crazy ass mm-hmm. machines. Yeah. 
in these issues. Yeah. And and the faithfulness on page three. So basically, we get a sort of classic FF splash page, <laughs> except there's three of them and Claw. Then you've got Sue looking for Reed and Ben, and Reed and Ben in true you know, kind of let's be a dick to Sue fashion, have launched themselves in the space, locked themselves in the space-time room, um, refuse to tell her what's going on because it's way too, they don't want to worry her, which makes absolutely no sense. And then, it, is, it is the most hilariously macho attitude ever, isn't it? Yeah. We're doing something really dangerous, but we can't tell you about it because then you'd worry. But right. it's really dangerous. Yeah, exactly. We're exactly, you, honey. But it's really dangerous, okay? Yeah. Just don't worry your head about it. Don't worry your head about it because chances are good we'll be dead, you know? But don't worry. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, uh, it's, it's prime dick move. But that, that, so there's only two panels on page three. That second panel is kind of amazing. Again, when you talk about Sinnott. Three quarters of the page. Yeah, it's three quarters of the page. It is Reed looking into subspace and spotting a a creepy floating subspace monster. But again, if you look at the dimensionality of the machinery, you know, where... It's, it's, it's really an amazing... It's obviously an amazing pencil job from Kirby, but yeah. it's really an amazing uh, ink job from Sinnott. Yeah. Because because he's like okay I'm I'm absolutely going to give this depth and detail and it's kind of even on the next page where I don't even understand like what happens before they get attacked by Claw like they're literally like looking into subspace and then Reed's like okay hand me the film camera you know what I mean and like I just don't even understand what they're doing. And then, of course, they're, they're just getting the film camera and a, and some audio recording equipment. And then there is a sonic boom. That is, I, again, Stan might not know what a sonic boom is. Yes, yes, because on the next panel, he's like, watch out for the shockwave. No, and... no, not only that. The sonic boom starts by going, ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true. That is also true. But, um, yeah. Anyway, the, so the sonic boom, ladies and gentlemen is Claw attacking. Because Claw, you'll remember Claw mm -hmm. from the classic just three issues ago story. Yes. Um, Claw has reinvented himself as a being of solid sonic energy. Mm -hmm. And he can control sonic energy. And as a man who wants revenge on the Black Panther, he's doing it the most direct way he knows how. Going to another country, <laughs> attacking the Fantastic Four, hoping that they will call the Black Panther for help. Yeah. And then getting the Black Panther. Yeah. It's a foolproof method. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it is totally, oh yeah, it's kind of a drag. Anyway, fortunately, and again, Stan having to do some work, I remember looking at this and being, where did Claw come from? Is he supposed to be coming from subspace? Thank goodness Lee mentions that he's on the roof. I, I have to say, it doesn't really do anyone any sort of... I don't know, you know, but at least it explains something. I don't. I well, just... it, it it does actually set up the next time you see him, which is when he's breaking in through the window into the building. Oh yeah, that is true. Absolutely, like, right. it, it, that does help. Yeah, but yeah. quite how Claw is causing a sonic boom in one particular room in a building from the roof. Yeah, maybe best if you don't think about it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also, I love. 
uh, the next time you see Colin when he does break into the building, mm-hmm. uh, he breaks a window with the sound effect splang. <laughs> that by itself is amusing. More amusing <laughs> is soothing going, a sonic blast! Attack. Really? A window breaks with splang? And your first thought is, it's a sonic blast! Yep. Maybe that's what all spl- sonic blasts sound like. They, they sound like splang. Splang. Yeah. Now, okay, so before we uh, before we return to Claw, let's point out that there is a, a two, there's a one page one page, no, there, one and a half page. It's almost yeah, two pages page, of the Inhumans. Uh, uh, Inhuman sequence where everyone will be happy to know that Maximus's personality has done a 180 since the last time you saw him. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and the Absorber Bomb is, is is doing something? Yes. Not not something enough because Medusa then throws it at Maximus. Yes. Because she's mad at him and nothing happens. Yeah. It it is it is great. So so here's the thing, Graham. The Absorber Bomb we have one panel of the Inhumans carrying the passed out Black Bolt. And you have you have Gorgon saying, it's clear to me now. He used his great powers to drive the Absorba Bomb against the barrier, hoping to shatter it at last. But he suddenly realized that we would be destroyed along with the barrier due to the energy he had built up. Only that one life-saving scream could have defused the bomb in time. And, and I hope everyone's paying attention to that because uh, Gorgon is saying something that just two issues from now, he will not know. Yes. Well, because I honestly think that there is... I mean, this is Stan having to explain a shitload of stuff. And I'm convinced the whole absorb a bomb thing is a tremendous mistake. Like, okay, so um, should I wait until we get to the end of the Inhumans... Like the Inhumans Great Refuge. No, no, no you've, zone you've teased thing. twice. I want to know. Okay. So I'm convinced that the Absorba Bomb was not really an Absorba Bomb whatsoever. That it was actually Maximus tells Black Bolt that the way to get out of the Great Refuge is basically to let himself be exposed to these rays that will help give him the powers necessary to break down the wall. Black Bolt agrees to do it, gets so it's not him powering the Absorba bomb. It is this bomb egg mechanical thing that Maximus has designed that shoots all of this power into Black Bolt. And it so overwhelms him, he screams and passes out. That's why you see him being carried out, you know. It's like and Medusa gets so pissed at at um dude she just picks it up and throws it at him the idea is that it actually so the the non-absorba bomb ends up giving black bolt the power to actually shatter the wall of the great refuge but maximus is like but he's never going to do it because the only way that he can do it is if he destroys the destroys the city in total Black Bolt does make the sacrifice of destroying the whole city and destroying the the wall of the Great Refuge as we see in the in the future episodes. He does this and then essentially everyone is pissed at him and exiles the inhumans by 
choice. Like the, the, the Inhumans, it Stan presents it as a, well, while you go and, you know, build this remarkable, rebuild our remarkable city now that we are free, we're going to go off and celebrate by traveling the world or whatever, you know, reuniting Crystal with Johnny. They've actually been exiled. And this is Maximus's super big plan because now with Black Bolt gone, he can be king. So the last few panels you see is him being like, okay, everybody, I'm king, right? And everyone's like, no, you're just an asshole. And Maximus is like, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of, you know, the idea that I, I was sure once I got rid of Black Bolt, they'd make me king. But no one recognizes my genius. And here, you know, basically, I outwitted myself. That would be a much better story than the one that actually appears in the comic, Jeff. It it sort of makes sense. Again, I'm sort of half convinced that, that that's where Kirby wanted to go, but because he and Lee are not communicating and or when Lee is making issues on a decision by decision, you, you know, issue by issue, he's looking at Kirby's notes and going, eh, no, I don't see the point of that. And then later when it comes along, it's like, okay, well, I clearly destroyed that as a possible motive. I've got to come up with something else. So the, the, the Inhumans arc in these six issues is let's be kind. Mm -hmm. Somewhat nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so, like I said, that sort of, I feel like that imposes a certain amount of sense on it. It's not necessarily great. And I mean, again, well, it, it imposes chunks. a sense of, uh, of cause and effect. Yes. And also something that is not completely contradictory. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking inhumans uh it's <laughs> funny these six issues really do just made me like be like i don't like the inhumans no I it's actually true. kind of do like the inhumans the but in these are... six issues you're like yeah. just fuck off inhumans. Yeah. just fuck off inhumans that is that is pretty much it it is because they go from being like oh my god this is the most greatest epic idea ever to yeah just like what is it with this bullshit like it yeah, does what, not... what are you even doing here? You're wasting pages that yeah. could have Johnny and Wyatt hanging around with a fucking giant teleporting dog. Yes. Yeah. But but we don't even get that much Johnny and Wyatt in this issue. I think we only get... Uh, uh, we get something on page 15. That is yeah, it a page I or think, two pages? I think that's it. I think uh, it's just a page. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We get a page and a panel. Right. Right. Because of the uh, way And even, the, even the page is, is the... the I don't know where we are. Maybe Lockjaw's hungry. The end. Oh, and, and it really is. Like, here we are in another unearthly dimension. Like, and here's some sticks. Like, there really is just a, like, fucking... And, and it's so absolutely hilarious. Here yeah. we are in another unearthly dimension. Here's some sticks. And Mike just immediately goes, maybe he should eat them. <laughs> yes, totally. It, it gave him something to do. But I love the fact that even Kirby's like, fuck it. Like, if I take him off planet, I don't even have to draw realistic sticks. You know what I mean? It's like, cylinder, cylinder, cylinder. Hey, it's extra dimensional sticks. Enjoy, everybody. Um, so, back... but, but I do like that Lee's justification for that plot mm -hmm. is that basically White is such a good Indian. Oh, that yeah. He stands animals. Yes. It's just oh. like, 
it, you're, it's creeping in. Yeah. All, all your film shit is creeping in here, sadly. <laughs> you, just, you just can't escape it. You want to escape it. You want them to avoid it, but they just, uh, it's just a terrible thing. And for those who think that I am, I'm joking, who is better equipped for the task than I? Have I not the blood of the Comanche in my veins? Oh, my God. Did my forefathers not steam the wild stallion? Oh. Oh, Stan, what are you thinking? Back yeah. to the main meat of the issue, however. Yes. Um, Claw is attacking the Fantastic Four. There are a number of, what if we try and escape? It's a sonic feedback loop. Oh, God. Which basically looks like a lot of wind. Yes. Uh, then... The Fantastic Four, or uh, I should say, uh, Reed in particular, mm-hmm. beats down Claw. Yeah. But because he has been shipped via flying gyroscope mail by the Black Panther, vibranium vibranium band, bands, two vibranium wristbands, like like that's... like yeah. knuckle dusters, vibranium yeah. knuckle dusters that he beats <laughs> the shit out of yeah. Claw with. Yeah. There is a lot that's hilarious about this thing number one apparently mr fantastic and the thing are in a room that they can't escape and yet somehow reed seems to think that the black panther can deliver these bands to him through that shield that that is ensuring that he can't escape or he was just hoping that like the timing would all work out and the shields would be gone yeah he literally they come into the room and yeah then it flies in through the open window which i'm like now i guess in a way there's kind of that thing of uh you know the sound waves came from the roof i suppose i don't know maybe they thought the vibranium would instantly cancel out the sound let me just say that when never having read this story before um i started reading it and up until about page nine or so i was like oh this is great this is going to be like issue 54 was the johnny story issue 55 is the ben Grimm story issue 56 story is the sue story and if it is it's really sad because apart from page nine where she panel two where she looks totally badass pulling out that gun it looked great to me i really adored that um it's basically a lot of her running from claw for the majority of the issue uh blindly panicking by other people yeah exactly being rescued by the thing jumping in like blindly running to mr fantastic you know essentially being played cat and mouse with by claw for the majority of the issue apart from the one part where she's awesome and throws the gun she really doesn't do much and the idea that it is a solo issue if so is so depressing to contemplate so um it's really it's uh, yeah it's it's a terrible terrible issue there are a couple of things to say in its favor one Mm -hmm. that panel of sue pulling the gun out of the of the uh Mm -hmm. cupboard is great yeah it's very very good yeah um also fun is the on page 18 Mm -hmm. panel four the wap panel yes yeah, it's is just wonderful as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It is Mister Fantastic punching Claw, yeah. but he's doing it with his stretchy arm, and it's just, it's both funny and just a great, very dynamic panel. Yeah. The art is the savior of this story, very much so. Exactly because yeah. there's 
there's little in the story to, to really recommend it. There, yeah, the story itself is, the issue is in so many ways kind of a loser. I mean, I just, like I said, Claw is, well, it's like this issue. Claw is brilliantly designed. Uh, like the art on this is fantastic. It's just at a really incredibly Claw's high a, level. Claw's a terrible character. And yes. this is a, an overly convoluted story that, doesn't you know at no point really make sense if you no. stop at any point to be like but why yeah. then then no like claw's plan in general is crazily wacky yes the idea that he'd be like i will leave wakanda yeah to go to america yeah to attack the, the black panther's super powered friends yes who at this point have a history of beating everyone yeah so that the Black Panther will then also have to leave Wakanda <laughs> to come and save them so that I can face off against them. Yeah. That's his plan. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the plan. That is the plan. Which, you know, well, clearly when you became a solid sound construct, <laughs> uh, it affected your reasoning quite strongly. But that, that's right. great. Good job, Claw. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Claw. Nice job, looking uh, fabulous. Yeah, but the the even within the the story after after you deal with that terrible, terrible, horrible mistake, it's yeah. it's a, a nonsensical story. Yeah, it really is. And again, like I said, to the extent that uh, I've given Kirby most of the credit, um, I think he really has to take the lion's share of the blame because there is stuff the the. Reed and Ben being locked in that room is nonsensical. Some of the storytelling cues are just Stan made the best guess he could, you know? So yeah, it's, it's tough. It's really a, it's, it's a rough issue. And I have to say, Graham, as we enter issues 57 through 60, AKA the great Dr. Doom Silver Surfer saga, um, I'm pretty iffy about it too. Like there's some really because I am not my friend. really okay. Well, this is I good. am on board. No pun intended. That's why Jeff, because <laughs> Doctor Doom steals the power of Silver Surfer. Yeah, and is like, what is the best way I can just show that I'm all powerful? I'm gonna write his fucking surfboard. Yeah, it's true. And so he took it the site of for the nets for issues. Yes, Doctor Doom writing a surfboard. Through yeah. the skies. Yeah. Fabulous FF. Thought they had trouble enough. But then, Enter Doctor Doom is the title of Fantastic Four issue 57. Yes. Uh, which starts... Actually, I think this is a great issue in general. Because it starts with them dealing with the uh, Sandman's breakout from prison. Yes. Which I think is a, a really strong sequence. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think art-wise... But also story-wise, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. great. But there's, I mean, there's some amazing art in there. The third panel, uh, page three, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just such a great panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the splash page on page one is, yeah. is, is is a really good page. No, it's a it's a great dynamic opening. I love the Sandman. I mean, you know, it he's it's great. He's like my favorite part of the Frightful Four, and we don't even have to deal with the rest of the Frightful Four for it. Um, it's just, and you know, there's, it, it, it's, it, it speaks to, again, a little bit of how strangely paced, um, things are at the FF at this point. Cause really the Dr. Doom Silver Surfer, uh, uh, storyline is 
is really maybe two issues of material that somehow end up against spread out over four issues in part because the inhuman story really steps up and this issue this the majority of this issue as far as ff are concerned you know are two sideline story yeah two gala sequences with the sandman you know um and then you come back for silver surfer i mean let's just say that you know for me like looking at pages 16 and 17 it's like only in a Jack Kirby book can you have a guy who can burst into flame and an enormous teleporting dog ending up on a planet of stampeding dinosaurs have that be the filler. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Well, there, there's so much that is wonderful about this. So oh, yeah. one of the reasons that I, I like this issue so much, it not only is that Kirby is on throughout mm-hmm. the entire oh, yeah. issue. I mean, and Sinnott as well. Mm-hmm. I, they, they are both... You know, this the second sequence with the Sandman when he breaks into the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. Uh is just visually wonderful. It's it's so great that it makes up for the fact that it's uh, ridiculous from a story point of view. Mm-hmm. And so much of this issue is ridiculous from a story point of view, which is part of the appeal for me. Mm. Um Doctor Doom does all but say it's the Silver Surfer all the way through, by the way, I'm a bad guy. Yes. And the Silver Surfer is completely unaware. Yeah. Which is it's is hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the Silver Surfer is so excited about a picture of space oh. that he doesn't hear <laughs> Doctor Doom is getting fucking extra armor put on top of his armor yes. to allow him to save to steal the power mm-hmm. is hilarious, but also just great. Mm-hmm. Um, page fifteen, where mm-hmm. you have a full page flash of Doom with the power cosmic standing over the silver surfer. Yeah. It's such an amazing page. Yes. It's such a wonderful page. Yeah. Um, so what makes this issue and this arc work for me is that mixture of the ludicrous mm. and the beautiful. Mm. You know, okay. On the one hand as spectacle, which again, like I've been saying throughout all this stuff as spectacle, it's fantastic. I also want to point out, um, if if I may, just the to me the absolute brilliance of page eleven, but really pages ten and eleven, because depending on how you look at it, and to me it reads the bottom of page ten is like Reed and Sue looking out a, a window, and it's like how can we ever defeat an enemy who has the power of Sandman, right? You go to the next page, the way that it's set up. Kirby, like your eye is caught by the bottom of the panel and there's this amazing plasma tube thing that runs throughout which it's a full page shot of Dr. Doom walking the Silver Surfer through his experimental workshop and the way that the um, like Kirby has set that plasma tube up, your eye basically goes through the page backwards you know, instead of talk, starting at the top left-hand corner and working its way down to the right, if you go from where Reed is and then the big glowing thing at the bottom of page 11, your eye basically goes, it starts at the bottom left-hand page and ends up in the upper right-hand corner. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's literally, it's it's as if Kirby is showing you how upside down the world being presented to the Silver Surfer is, you know, it's, it's, it's literally an inverted uh, page in terms of the way that your eye follows it. And in the way of what 
Doom is presenting to the surfer. Again, when you look at the pacifier on page 12, panel 1, like, that is shit that the image guys would have ridden into the ground, that character design. As far as I know, it never really shows up again, you know? I, it, I don't think it does. I, do, I don't think you ever see the pacifier again. Yeah, and I mean, it's an amazing, it's like a beetle type character with like a gun on his hand it almost looks like a a, mecha, a weaponized version of the enfant terrible from way back when um but it's a gun on his hand and a gun on his head as well yes beautiful and and just it looks fucking phenomenal and Cur- where kirby's at in this particular stage of things is like and that's just that's just one more thing you know what i mean that's just uh, that's like the vacuum cleaner. to al ewing if you're listening Yes. Please bring the pacifier back. <laughs> that would be the best. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, there's so many things that I really do. I, I love about this issue. Um, it's just, it's just, I guess, from a story standpoint, like you said, you've got the ludicrousness and the beauty of it. And it really, to me, says something that it, for me, at 57 issues into the Fantastic Four, I'm so heavy in the mythology that that I really am like, Dr. Doom on a surfboard looks absurd. Like, it is beautiful how absurd it is. And yet, I almost can't see it because that's how acclimated I am. Um... But from a, but from plot purposes, it really is. Doctor Doom gets all the power of the of the Fantastic Four, and in I mean of the Silver Surfer, and in true, I am now omnipotent uh, Marvel super super villain phase proceeds to do almost uh, just fart around with God, which is something else that I love about it. Oh, really? Because the yeah, because this storyline more than anything else doom ever does mm-hmm. shows how shows the, the massive difference between his self-image and the mm-hmm. reality mm. because in doom's mind doom is the best right the best the most inventive the most creative mm-hmm. the most you know the smartest right and then he gets ultimate power mm-hmm. and he does small shit with it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Uh, do you do you? Let's put Graham McMillan. I know that you were not especially responsive to this idea when I suggested it for this man, this monster, and that is why I am loath to suggest it again. I'm super curious what you're going to say, but I just want to say that since issue fifty, there's an ongoing motif of what we've seen in the issues, and it's. One person usurps and takes the power of another person. <laughs> you, you, Jeff, it, are you, you back on your Jack Kirby is trying to communicate an idea to Stanley who is amazingly unaware of it? Yes. Yeah, I'm back on to my idea that, that the unnamed scientist, the Doctor Doom, Human Torch grabbing Prester John's evil eye and flying off with it is Stan Lee and the thing, the Silver Surfer and Prester John are all Jack Kirby characters who are basically surprised, have their, their power usurped by someone else who proceeds to do a variety of different things with it, but usually for the most part comes to no good with it. 
So to, to me, I, if the idea that Dr. Doom is kind of a big nobody uh, in, in that sense, like, I think that's a great way to look at it. And maybe part of my problem with these four issues is it really does put to the lie the idea that Doom is, you know, a benevolent ruler in any way that might be good for Litveria you know, and or, yeah, really even knows, like, despite everything that he says, when he gets ultimate power, he just wants to fly around on a surfboard and be, look at me, everybody, look at me. You all have yeah, to course, worship Doom me. Because Doom is a massive egotist. Yes, absolutely, which I think is established. But the idea that he could be something more than an egotist is pretty much put uh, down. Uh, oh, in, in entirely, issues. entirely, which I, it, which very much works for me. Yeah, well, which fair enough. And again, Stan Lee, pretty, pretty, pretty big egotist. When you when you say you're really not going to buy this theory, so it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not massively rejecting the theory. I'm just <laughs> success. I think what, what <laughs> I think what basically, if it's there, I think it's there on a subconscious level. Okay. I don't think Kirby is the sort of I don't think Kirby is that passive aggressive. Ultimately, I think I think Kirby is is far more. I think Kirby, if he was actually planning to address it in the work, mm-hmm. would have the character look like Stan Lee. Oh, so in other words, you're saying he would be Funky Flashman? Yeah, but but you. Don't... I, I, th- I think I think if it's there now, it's totally subconscious. Ah, uh, I I personally think that 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 Jack Kirby like. Any good Czech novelist, you know, behind the Iron Curtain is going to write through a tale of very, very, very veiled allegory. And once he defects to the West, a.k.a. D.C., he's like, oh, yeah. And Roy Thomas, you're a dick, too. So, you know, I could <laughs> but, to be... <laughs> but to be fair. But to be fair. Come yeah. on. Come Dude. on. I, th- I, think, I think we all know, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. Wait, what are you saying? Are you saying that Roy Thomas is a dick? <laughs> I'm definitely making that joke. Roy Thomas is a lovely man who responded to an email I sent him a while back, and he really didn't have to. Oh, really? Oh, that's lovely. And was it lovely? Uh, I, or t- was I, sent him, I sent him an email asking if Carol Danvers was named after Linda Danvers. Oh, wow. What? Did, wait, Linda Danvers is... Supergirl. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and he said... Hmm? Uh... He said, if it is, that it's subconscious. He definitely uh, wasn't thinking about it at the time. Got it. Okay. Well, he is a guy who it usually talks because in the... We're taking a complete detour for a second. In true Wait What fashion. Yes. Uh, in the Supergirl TV show that's coming on in the, in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, they're using the name Cara Danvers. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. And right. everyone was like... They're ripping off Captain Marvel. No, and I was like, well, no, it's Linda Danvers, and her name is Kara. Like, it's it's an amalgam of the two names she's had since she first appeared in like 1950. Odd. Absolutely, but it's uh, and it's like, wait, did Carol Danvers have her name ripped off, ripped off of Linda Danvers? Right, or Kara so Danvers? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And 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 no is the answer. No. Well, yes. Oh my goodness, the whole the whole. So pass- you go. He didn't have to respond. So there you go. Roy Thomas is a lovely man. He is. I just wanted to make the joke. <laughs> and what a fine clarify, joke it was. Clarify. So let's talk about, again, about um, amazingly petty Doctor yes. Who. Because issue 58, yes. uh, 
the dismal dregs of defeat. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. They don't really get utterly defeated in this issue because they've got to stretch it out for another two issues for some reason. Yeah. Um, but it starts with, what does Doctor Doom do with his ultimate power? He makes it fucking rain in New York. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I, 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 Again, there's just that idea of wherever Kirby's going for, I think Lee is just not on board. Because the idea... Well, what is Kirby going for then? Because all of this stuff's in the art, Jeff. It, it is in the art. Like yeah. Some grander idea? I, I no, I I actually think that yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, I I I think that um, the fact that it's it's raining and there's an image of doom appearing and and literally striking the building um, looks pretty awesome. And then it just he just seems to fade without a trace i i definitely agree that the whole storm thing is and the idea that the storm is fading by the time you get to page 2 panel 3 yeah okay i'll i'll give it i just feel that there's something where like stan lee's being like easy honey don't panic it's just some sort of visual illusion caused by the electrical storm and and then and then later saying a freak electrical mirage can't happen twice in the row, not in the image of the same person. I'm like, I don't even think it can happen once. So, you know, but, but there, there there's all that. And once again, it's the, but I let, mustn't let Sue become alarmed. It It just seems to me that Kirby is like, he's like drunk on imagery. Um, uh, for me, it's like, hey, here's a dramatic way of opening it up. There's this huge thing of foreboding. Everyone's supposed to be freaked out by this image. Um, and and there's sort of that weird way, maybe I think Stan trying to cover up the way the FF sort of end up being so passive about it that they have to have dismiss it in a way. But it's, it's just odd to me. It really does seem like... Uh, there's something that's not in sync. Like as much as I love the imagery and oh my God, reverse negative image, Dr. Doom looks awesome. Um, but yeah, it really doesn't, it, it just, it just seems so, um, I don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of lies there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, and, it's, I, I think, I think that Lee and Kirby are, Maybe not entirely in sync, but also not out of sync in this one. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that it's just that Doctor Doom just doesn't do much important with his power. I think he's. I think Doctor Doom is just like other characters in this run, a dick. Yeah, he's uh, and he's just like true. I'm taunting them, ha ha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's fifty eight of uh a, an odd issue. There's mm-hmm. the the. More moment uh, the scene where with the thing reading the ghost story book and he's yes. so scared of mr fantastic tapping him on the shoulder that he he destroys a chair yes um and it's there's a, there's a moment in a later issue as well i can't remember but there's like very clear the thing has now become slapstick mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like he's no longer a tragic figure mm-hmm. we we we're, we're we've done away with the tragic figure the mm-hmm. thing is now the comedy relief of the book yeah yeah, uh, which I, which to me, it may well be in in my mind, it could be Kirby reacting to the idea of like he did a kind of like the thing is a mess with that silver in that Silver Surfer issue, and you know, and that didn't land like the way it gets changed. Kirby's like, mm, I'm just gonna okay, fine, you know, 
I give up. You know, he, here's the thing he's he's going to be all about. That being said, I did love the ghost story sequence. Taken on its own without any sort of context for what happens. I mean, as it is, it's a completely weird sequence that those two characters, you know, that, that, that Reed and Sue walk off on, you know, panel panel four of page five. Page six is the thing getting pulled through a wall and Hugh dragged into this massively brutal fight with Dr. Doom and Reed and Sue are just like, mm. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just very much a, the, there's, I guess there's a way in which I, I've made lots of references to, you know, as we've talked about the sort of fairy tale nature of, um, uh, the Fantastic Four, uh, but this really, this issue makes almost only really makes narrative sense if you think of it as it's supposed to be a nightmare. It's supposed to be an, a literal nightmare come true. Well, it, or a fairy tale, because right. Doom essentially becomes a mischievous sprite. Mm-hmm. Doom is not a real threat, really. He turns the thing to a statue. He doesn't kill him. Well, yeah. He break he breaks into the the Baxter building, and he wraps Sue in a whirling cosmic cone. Mm-hmm. Sure, and literally wraps Reed up in cables. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he's causing mischief. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not being genuinely dangerous. Right. Yeah. It, he only becomes dangerous when. When Johnny shows up mm-hmm. and Johnny attacks him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's and so there's something about it that feels very like Doom doesn't seem like a credible threat at any point in this storyline. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, right. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean? Do you disagree? Well, he's like a credible threat if you read the text and you're like, he's omnipotent. He's right. a bad guy. Therefore, this is bad. Yeah. No. 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 I think. He's I think it's a good point. Bone. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he only I... comes real trouble when someone attacks him first. Mm-hmm. That's. I think that's. I think that's probably true. I. I think that there is an idea of Doom is trying to to hit the characters where they live. I, which sounds weird because you don't get any sense of that from the text. But I think it is interesting that the thing getting turned into a sculpture in the park and the way that it's played with that sort of pathos. Like you said, there's that idea of like, you know, we're sort of used to the idea of Ben. Ben seems like he's just comedy relief now. But we don't see inside his thoughts after all this time where the thing has been sort of struggling with his self-image, and we see all these sculptures of Ben through Alicia, we actually a sequence where he really becomes a sculpture, where he really becomes inanimate. And it's possible that there's a way in which, again, in a way that is never covered textually, but subtextually, part of the start and stop with Ben and Alicia Masters is, is that Alicia is that idea that she loves him as an inanimate object, that she loves the sculptural quality in him. And so he ends up basically being a sculpture in the park where people are like, hey, wasn't that statue there? You know, it's almost like the sort of thing that would end up at, an, at the end of a 
you know, six page where monsters dwell story if he'd just been a rampaging beast or something. Like it's that level of irony. Similarly, the idea that Reed Richards is just all about the gizmos and basically the Doctor Doom makes his gizmo come and all but fuck him up and all but render Sue helpless and powerless, which, you know, maybe that's the idea that that, you know, the idea that he that Doom is attacking these characters through the very essence of what they are. Like you said, there's a little bit of there's a fairy tale or a nightmare element to it. I just want to I I just want to say that in a way I think he's attacking their souls in a in a in a way that doesn't really get addressed in the text. And and frankly, I'm not really sure that holds up when by the time you get to get to Johnny either, you know. Well, I want to believe that what you're saying is it was present in their minds when they're creating it. Mm -hmm. But I honestly think it's a fluke. Sure. I'll buy that. Just because I don't think, I don't think either Lear Kirby work on that level. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel that like, I think I, I, this sounds totally weird. I think their work can work on that level. Yes. I don't think either of those two are conscious of that level when they're creating their work. Yes. Yeah. yeah, No, no, no. I agree. I'm just, I have, uh, I I have such faith in the sub, the unconscious power of Jack Kirby <laughs> that I'm that I'm willing to make that extra jump. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I just wanted to point out because part of me is like eh, it's a little more of a threat in a way. But I also do. I have to. I had Graham McMillan. I really do admire your hot take of no, the Doctor Doom is kind of when he gets the ultimate power, he's just kind of a fuck up. Um, but but. All the Doctor Doom stories are he's a fuck up. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, I guess like I, all the Doctor Doom stories are he's trying to prove that he's important. He's trying to prove that he is who he thinks he is, and every single time he gets the chance, he screws it up. Is that not the ultimate Doctor Doom story? I, I, you know, I suppose it is the ultimate Doctor Doom story. Um, I, I think there's a level at which I just haven't been totally aware of it because for me it always feels like no the fantastic four come in and beat him this is this to me is like a huge chunk of this is dr doom beating himself i suppose what is is very funny for me is i think and i couldn't swear to it Mm -hmm. but i think the first dr doom story that i was fully conscious of from start Mm -hmm. to finish was secret wars Mm -hmm. which yes is in many ways the story yeah he gets ultimate power and it is himself who's, who defeats himself. Yeah. He, he is his own worst enemy. And mm-hmm. so that probably colored my reading the character considerably. No, and I, I think that and that so, and so makes I get a lot of this, sense. And I'm mm-hmm. like, of course he defeats himself. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, that's what Doom does. Doom, is, Doom does not live up to his own expectations. And I can only imagine right now the number of Doctor Doom fans who are listening to this and wanting my head. <laughs> Part of the reason I no, but part of the reason I love Doctor Doom so much right. is the discrepancy between his ego and the reality. Mm. See, whereas I love his ego is so much, right. but I'd love it so much because it's entirely unearned. Well, and and I get that, and I think it's a good point. I I'm actually a big fan of Doom as the the as sort of perfect, except for the fact that he is like, that he's a narcissist essentially, and that he's an obsessive, you know, but I never, I, I, I'm, I'm a little more into the idea of 
which is funny because I'm not really a big fan of where Jonathan Hickman moves with Doom in the Fantastic Four stuff, which is the idea, you know, like Hickman, like me, seems to love the idea that Doom is a villain, but he's potentially a great man in there somewhere, you know? And Which is interesting because for me, I think Secret Wars is going to be the ultimate. Doom is the author of his own destruction. Story. Yes, I think so too. And and, in and a way I will also I say it out loud in the podcast right now for everyone to laugh at me in a few months. I think the Secret Wars is going to end up with the death of Reed Richards for a while. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and maybe Sue, and maybe Doom. But I think that, that Reed is definitely going to uh, die slash be put on the shelf for a while as a result of the story. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, I think, I think a, a bulk of them are, and I think that Doom is, uh, I don't know, it'd be, wouldn't it be wonderful if they just ended up at, like, Reed and Sue decide to open up their marriage, and, because clearly Doom wants to be in there somehow, at least in the Hickman Secret Wars thing, which again, to me, also makes, it's, it's an area where I'm like, no, that makes no sense, but that, that's me. Let's talk about Doomsday, Graham McMillan, because we're really close to getting through these issues, despite the 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 barrier that is Jeff Lester's mouth. Wait, well, I, I'm my mouth because we went horribly off. Before we get to the next issue, I want to say that uh, Doom, when he deals with Johnny, again goes for the ironic uh, solution of turning him into ice. Yes. Um, and then, well, except he doesn't turn him into ice because he just freezes him and then. Johnny flames on and beats him. Hooray! Which yeah. leads to the strangest thing uh, on page 18. Mm-hmm. Which is... I I don't know if it's Stan overwriting what Kirby uh, planned mm-hmm. or just filling in. It's just a really weird thing where Johnny basically explodes. And yes. even though Doom is still there, uh, <laughs> basically like shout over the rubble going, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, there... It's the strangest page. Page 18 is a very, very strange page. It is uh, true. It also features uh, Wyatt coming in and being like, I'm not afraid of anyone. What's that? Help Johnny? I'll shoot a gun at this guy in an armor. Because yeah. there you go. Anyway, let's get on to issue 59. The Fabulous FF come face to face with Doomsday. You'd think from the cover of this comic... Yes. It is all about the Inhumans because the cover it says in this earth-shaking issue the Inhumans break free, and features the Fantastic Four and Black Bolt. Mm-hmm. But no, it's pretty much a Doctor is continuation of the Doctor Doom story. Yes, yeah, um, and it's and it's a it's a strange story. Beautiful images. Oh man, I love I love like before there was two thousand and one a Space Odyssey. There is page four panel five where dr doom is walking and you don't know if he's fucked up gravity or what is happening yeah, is, is kirby just taking a strange angle or yeah. is dr doom walking on the side of the is he walking on a wall basically yeah you you honestly don't know and and little touches like that just are so great I think. Talking of little touches, on page six, I think you see the first sign that for Kirby, Doom is scarred underneath that mask. Mm-hmm. Because look, look at the eyes. Yeah, on, on panel three. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So for all the people who, because there is definitely a, a, a school of thought that Doom is not as scarred as he thinks he is. Yes, and I think that panel kind of suggests. That, that Kirby doesn't agree. For Kirby, he is scarred. 
It's interesting because I believe Kirby at one point, and there's no reason why he couldn't have changed his mind on this, but I know that Kirby himself, I think, was the proponent of the, he just had one little scar, um, and then he, he's such a perfectionist that he can't stand it. But maybe this is the scar. Um, I do want to point out also that this, what I think is great is the previous issue also has a tight close-up on Doom's eyes, but it's not this big. And I sort of love the idea that, that, that Kirby was stacking them up because I don't think there's one at all in the previous issue. If, so story, if stories just keep going, like in three issues, did you get a double-page spread of Tim's eyes? Yeah, the, the next one should really just be a full-page close-up of his eye, you know? But uh, but oh well. Um, yeah, there's, there is, there is, there's stuff with this. Again, Black Bolt flying through... Ad, uh, yeah, again, Adeline. visually... This is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful issue. Yeah, it um, is just great. It, it, it almost makes sense that uh, the Inhumans get the cover of this issue because mm-hmm. the meat of the issue in this one is the Inhumans. Yeah, uh, the the quote unquote a plot of mm-hmm. Doom and the Fantastic Four. Uh, it's playing for time. Yeah, the, the, there's no actual forward motion in this story. No, no. The there, the, there really the FF or tell the world, oh my God, Doom's dangerous. Doom. Right confronts the silver surfer and is like ha 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 i am winning mm-hmm. uh johnny for no immediately obvious reason is like i'm gonna take on doom myself yeah really don't quite like i don't that doesn't make sense to me at all no it really it, does it, it seems it seems as if lean kirby really want to keep johnny separate from the ff and i don't understand why yeah it's a big deal though it it, it does seem to be a big thing and i can't you do wonder what's going on with it if it's i like... can't can't yeah, I can't figure out what the deal is yeah. because there is there is no reason for Johnny to have decided that he has to do it himself. Yeah, uh, but uh, he but he has. Uh, it does seem like a thing that has happened in previous issues, at least a little bit. That that the Human Torch is a character who can turn on the juice and fight everybody off all by himself. Like he's, he's done that. I think in the frightful four issues, he, he did it. It tended to happen much more in the earlier issues. So maybe it's just a return to that, but it is very striking by how, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like a real off note, especially after Reed spending all this time being like, you know, we've got to stick together. We've got it. We can only do this. And, it's very odd. Um, the sequence, but yeah, the four-page sequence where uh, Black Bolt uh, destroys the the city is fucking terrific. You know. Yes, and, it's very dramatic. It's Kirby also getting bigger with his art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's this is we've talked about the spectacle being, I think, the primary thing in this run of six issues, and yeah. that's very much the case mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in this sequence. Yeah, uh, and so for we've talked also previously in this podcast about the fact that the Inhumans storyline doesn't really make sense and doesn't pay off. So in the previous issue, it was revealed that Black Bolt could speak. It's just that if he spoke, he would cause disaster. Mm-hmm. For some reason, only Maximus and Medusa knew this, even though in the issue prior to that, Gorgon had basically said the same thing himself. Exactly. Um, and but in in issue fifty nine, he breaks the barrier by shouting. Yeah. Uh, which also 
destroys the city. Yeah. It seems a very odd conclusion to this plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you ignore your rewrite of it, Jeff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because why didn't Black Bolt do this at any other point earlier? Yeah. Or more to the point, why didn't anyone else suggest it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've been told that nothing could break the barrier, and all of a sudden, something can break the barrier. It's just that it also breaks the city. Right. But the idea that something could have broken the barrier earlier. Right. Those were not the stakes as they were presented. It wasn't like, oh, there's this thing, but we can't make this ultimate sacrifice. It's literally, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. Well, of course there's this, you know? Yeah. And and it's it's a very, very strange thing. Mm -hmm. Also on a a similar, far more minor note, I love that during this period, Maximus' hair has grown significantly. (laughs) <laughs> uh, if you can't pay that's one, right Maximus all of a sudden now has like a, a I don't even know what you'd call that a Prince Valiant haircut yeah yeah kind of kind of like a yeah a hipster Prince Valiant I don't know and also Maximus is now telling him not to do it yes which it goes against what he'd said previously as well there, yeah. it really the the character motivation the the, the facts of this uh, thread of stories Mm-hmm. Is just constantly contradicting. Yeah. Uh, it it whether Lee is only finding out what's going on and Kirby's knowing all along, or whether Kirby is just making up as he goes along. Right. It it doesn't make sense as a narrative yeah. at all. No, as a narrative, it doesn't. But as a the idea that a series it, of scenes, it totally works. Oh yeah, exactly. But but even I do love like again, almost makes no sense. But the fact that the fact that Black Bolt shields Maximus with his wings and then speaks. And so he destroys the city while protecting his brother is, is, is kind of, it's kind of a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's again, it's that sort of thing that can be incredibly resonant in a way that, that really the images are resonant. The language itself is trying to make sense of something that is, is kind of garbled and lost already. You know, so um, yeah, it's it's uh, and it, that four page sequence is just part of the Inhuman sequence. You then get another three pages true. later on the issue with the Inhumans, and again, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. The Inhumans, uh, the royal family, which is Black Bolt, uh, Medusa, Crystal, uh, Gorgon, and I think Karnak as well. Mm-hmm. Um. The royal family does not rule uh, the Inhumans city of Atalan. There's a, a ruling council who've decided that because the city is destroyed, the best thing that yeah. the royal family could do would be to leave the city mm-hmm. and go and explore. Yeah. Again, it makes no sense. It, mm-hmm. it, just, it just doesn't. But as you pointed out as well, it does allow for an action sequence where Karnak flips uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because that, man. that's what Maximus is there for Maximus yeah. is there to be attacked by other humans <laughs> and provide an action sequence it is so true it's so true but uh, yeah so, it's a so mystifying yeah, it, it's, end it's, it's such a, an odd climax uh, mm-hmm. for that storyline mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and it's placement is so very odd as well mm-hmm. because it is in the middle of this playing for time issue with the, the Doctor Doom storyline 
and the mm-hmm. two do not connect at all. Yeah. There's there's not even any as above, so below. Look, these reflect in each other and they yeah. contradict and offer commentary. They're just two different stories. Yes, that just yeah. slice in and out. Yeah, it, it's um, true. This I should also say before we move on to the next issue that uh, I was saying that Doom gets ultimate power and he does nothing with it. Mm-hmm. This issue, of course, shows what he does do with it when he is not fighting the Fantastic Four. This is what he does, listeners. <laughs> he turns all the molecules in uh, an Eastern European city into light-absorbing ones for 24 hours to make everything dark for them. Again, mm-hmm. only 24 hours. He then goes to the tropical a tropical island in the Aegeans and turns it into a frozen wasteland for 24 hours. <laughs> and then he finds a gorilla in the jungle and turns it into a giant red monster for 24 hours. <laughs> I say again, Dr. Doom, is he thinks small, Jeff. <laughs> I have and to I, say. I, I can't tell. Mm-hmm. If he's meant to be thinking small, or if that's like Lee and Kirby's idea of thinking big, I you know I, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know either. I mean, uh, again, my who knows? I I honestly think that 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 there's all this stuff that that Kirby is is really interested in and into, and and I think it's a certain amount of drawing Doctor Doom. It just may be it just may be Kirby's attention span at work, which is somehow all the more amazing then that this gets dragged out for as many issues as it of does. Course. Yeah. Do you but... listen to the Thrilling Adventure Hour? Uh, I do not. Okay, Thrilling Adventure Hour has a character called K of the Cosmos, uh-huh. who is a parody of like uh, Mixopitalic or Q from Star Trek. Like mm-hmm. the, the being with, uh, the trickster with omnipotence, right? Right. And he appears and he's always going on about fun and whimsy. And that is very much what I was thinking when I was seeing these Doctor Doom segments. Like, it's like over being like, it's a beautiful tropical paradise. It would be fun if I freeze it for 24 hours. <laughs> it's a gorilla. How whimsical to make him a big red monster. <laughs> it it may be. It may be. There is a certain amount of that that is... Uh... Well, anyway, we're we're running we're running dangerously low on time. We should move to... Oh, we are. Oh, okay. Before we move on very quickly, we should say that the, the most important plot aspect for the Doom storyline in 59 is that Reed creates a device that looks very much like a bat. A fucking the... awesome looking cyber bat. Uh, yeah. That he is like, okay, it made, it made Ben uh, weak. Imagine what he could do with Doom. To which my first response was honestly, nothing, Doom's omnipotent. Yeah. It makes the thing weak. Why would it actually bother a guy who has all the power? Yeah. And, and, but, and but there's, there's also something... That just scales up, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, there's also something great where... Doesn't he say something where... Um, it, it He says something like, its most important function is to make Doom angry. The more furious he gets, the better chance we'll have to beat him. You know, and it's... Which, which, which to be fair... When you see what happens, it's yes. exactly what happens. Yeah. So I don't know if that's someone planning ahead or someone just realizing they have to do that for the climax, but it that does that is exactly what happens. No, it's Reed, true. It does it does yeah. pay off actually, in a way. Um in issue sixty, Fantastic Four, issue sixty, the peril and the power exclamation point. Um Doom is still flying around the world on his surfboard. I I'm going to have to put up panels of 
Doom and the Surfboard. You have to, totally. Because it is simultaneously ridiculous and awesome looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly none more so than the first panel on page three of issue 60. Mm, yeah, that is the best. Which which is just so great. Anyway, he's still doing it and causing uh, whimsical and fun mischief. Uh, for example, on the first page of this, he's got a ship, right? But he's lifted it out of the water on rocks. Fun and whimsy. He, uh, yes, Sue yeah. even says he's toying with that ocean liner like some like super-powered, super-powered madman. Mad yeah, I'm like... Like, you know, it's really is just like he is a super powered madman, right? I don't know, anyway. So, yes, this nonetheless does pay off. Uh, not only Reed's plans, but Johnny's because you get Johnny attacking mm-hmm. Doom, yes. Uh, and thankfully, Doom pretty much goes, Are you nuts? I'm omnipotent, yes. <laughs> what exactly did you think you could do? Mm-hmm. I'm omnipotent, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we cut to an amazingly large and muscular Silver Surfer. Yes. Uh, being taunted by a random Liberian guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure what that's there for, apart from to maybe remind the reader that that's where the power came from. Because I, it seems I, like a page that doesn't really serve much purpose aside from that. Right. It's a very odd, we said it all, through the episode, these are very oddly paced issues. Yeah. Uh, I, and they have scenes like this which seem utterly superfluous. Yeah. I, I think it sort of exists a little bit to re- at best to reinforce the idea, is how I took it, that the Silver Surfer is like, he hasn't really experienced true evil until he's been tricked by Doom. And then he's tricked by doom and then on top of that he's exposed to people who are are essentially torturing him for their own amusement so mm-hmm. when okay. this story is over i think he is like yeah humanity is bullshit so <laughs> isn't it just great that silver server didn't arrive when the internet existed oh yeah that would be the best to retell that story and he's like i you know he saves galactus i'm "I'm just going to get on twitter for five minutes oh (laughs) jesus holy fuck you assholes like it really would save so much time like he would just be Uh, like yeah he's back 10 minutes uh, later being like burn the fantastic four are then flying to liberia in even though Reed creates every single plane on the fucking planet, he's borrowed one from the Black Panther. Yes. Which has my favorite moment of utter randomness in this these six issues, which is the Black Panther is on like yes. the video scanner telling them how to fly it. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I love the Black Panther being, being back in, in Wakanda being like, no, not that button. No. <laughs> no, no that, yeah, that one. Press that button. Yeah, press that button. Okay, just give it a minute. Okay, now do you see? Okay, now ease it forward. No, slower. Slower. Oh, Jesus, why didn't I just give you one of the better ones? Johnny was much better with the gyroscope. <laughs> Although it took him two fucking issues to figure out he could fly, the chump. So. <laughs> exactly. He thought he just went along the ground. What was that about? <laughs> Obviously, gyro explorers go in the air. Hello? They so fast. Come on. <laughs> All right? That's the way it works. I told them that. I didn't use those exact words. I said, rolls around, but come on. 
people. Oh my god. Obviously, my Wakandan to English dictionary is confused. Please, 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 God, if there's a God in the universe, Marvel will give Graham the Black Panther series for sarcastic Black Panther to, like, just just snark on everyone. That is that is beautiful. Just let me re-dialogue every appearance that Black Panther has ever made. Yeah, no kidding. No like, kidding. keep all the rest of the dialogue the same and just redo the Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, you know, if you're up to school, my friends, you would be like, no! What are you, a fucking moron? <laughs> For Christ's sakes, people. Jesus! It would also be great if he shows up in, like, America and this just... This vibranium is, like... is cheap, you know? <laughs> I just need to make it into fucking knuckle dusters. For Christ's sakes, man. Look at it. It was a beautiful bench. This is years before Amazon's going to invent their drones. And you want me to send stuff? Oh, Jesus. For God's sakes. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we're, um, we're not wasting time at all. No, great. I'm like, oh, <laughs> boy, Graham. All right, take it on home. I just want to talk about how great the page is where the Watcher is watching the thing and Doctor Doom battle, and he's like, truly, my friends, I've never seen a battle of such crushing up... Oh, well, see, I gotta go, you know, golden apes with sticks. He doesn't even say that. He gets so into it that he's like, this is too exciting. I have to distract myself. (laughs) You're right. He does. No, no, no. He's totally Uh, right. That's absolutely uh, uh, what he says. It's Let totally me scan for the furthest reaches of space. Let me find another matter, a distant matter, to drive temptation from me. Yeah. But wait, before we get there, though, the um, the FF, or at this point, the F3, mm-hmm. um, attack Doom, yes. get their asses kicked. But what I really like is Doom and the thing go literally hand-to-hand in, and I please tell me you notice this, on page uh, 11, Doom's, I guess... Cosmically yes. enlarges his arms. Yes. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because the perspective was so weird. No, no, no. Doom's arms are his hands are not big enough that he can wrap the thing's wrists in them. Yeah, yeah. So he's clearly changed the size of his arms, yes. which by itself hilarious. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't do it the rest of his body. Just his arms, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> But what is great is he makes reference in that fight yes. to the fact that uh, the thing fucked up his hand way back when. Yeah. Which I, I did not expect and really appreciated. Yes. Yeah, I, I I totally appreciate as well. That That is great. He actually mentions it the first time, too, before he turns the thing into the statue. He also says, like, you fucked up my hands. Like, he's pretty obsessed with the fact that... that Grim has actually injured him before and and they it's it's interesting how much the two of them just are more alike than dissimilar in some ways you know it in that sense you know they both hold grudges they're both bullies interestingly enough they both seem to blame Reed Richards you know for their own misfortunes and at various times so um it is pretty great that that Doom gets there and makes it a point to to grab thing the sort of the way that the thing had grabbed him and just fuck him up. It's it's great that Lee and Kirby actually remember it, frankly, but it it's mm-hmm. a super great moment that's well done. There is a a, a showdown uh, mm-hmm. between the combined Fantastic Four in the end, the Reasons who find Johnny. Yeah, uh, 
and then they all confront uh, Doom. And Doom is is just winning. It mm -hmm. is just beating them up. There is some wonderful art from Kirbyans in, in this, where it's funny that you said earlier on that the perspective on the shot where the thing where Doom has increased the size of his arms was throwing you off because mm -hmm. there is some really interesting uh, perspective work going mm -hmm. on in this final showdown. Kirby is, and I don't know. Again, I'm not sure if it's intentional or mm -hmm. or if it's you know he was just in a really tight deadline. But there is some really interesting uh, work going on in terms of of the the perspectives and the proportions mm -hmm. that are happening. Uh, for example, on page 16, the first panel of that. Yeah, there's there's some really interesting stuff. On or even on um, page 15, the, the the fifth panel, looking at it um, with. Mm -hmm. The, with Doom moving out of the way of the of the invisible balls that are oh, being you're right. way. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. there's some really really wacky and, and interesting stuff being done in terms of plot I'm so glad that just as Doom is about to obliterate them we then have two pages of the Inhumans chopping down wood <laughs> and I wish I was joking that's, that's what's happened mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they get discovered does it say where? The other side of the mountains. I guess that means it's Laveria. They are found I, by Hans and his friends. So right, right. Who knows? We're definitely not in America. But anyway, so the, you get that. It is more proof, if anyone needed it, that the Inhumans are there to waste your time. Yeah, seriously. And if there is a, a running theme through these six, these six issues, it is the Inhumans are here to get in the way. <laughs> Sad but true. Yeah, and then we go into the the finale of the issue, which happens in a page and a half, in a yes. really, really, really rushed manner. Which is Reed's uh, invention, which has now been scaled up by the military, mm -hmm. um, basically works and zaps Doom to piss him off enough that he chases after it. It then flies into space, and Doom loses his power. Because the Silver Surfer, as you might remember, mm -hmm. was not allowed to leave Earth. Yeah, it would be great if we saw that happening, as opposed to had that explained to us in <laughs> exposition by Reed Richards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's... there's only a page and a half to happen to do it in kids, and mm -hmm. so it's exposition time. Yeah, yeah. It 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 is again. It's one of those situations where the the pacing for these issues is so odd that, that that really does just end. Like, you're like, really? Two pages? Like, because you're like, two so pages of the Inhumans chopping yes. wood. Why do you have the two pages of the Inhumans when you clearly needed more space for the finale? Yeah. Because the Inhumans, again, do nothing. Yeah. They yeah. chop woods and are discovered by Hans and his friends. Yep. That's yeah. it. There's mm -hmm. no forward motion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow it's important enough <laughs> that it means that the resolution for your four-issue storyline yeah. is done in exposition. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. Again, I'm like, I, having given Kirby so much credit, all the credit in the world, um, I really do. Part of me feels like it feels a little bit like a classic Kirby. Ah, I'm bored now. You know, it's like he moved it on for sort of as long as he could with this idea of perhaps building to something or again, maybe not. You know, like you said, Doom is very ineffective throughout so much of this, you know, and as you point out deliberately, 
Um, in which case, maybe it is, you know, there's part of me that's kind of like, oh, you know, that this is kind of Kirby's like, I, I don't, he's, he's trying to get to more. He wants to do more and he just, it's not, it's not quite working, you know? It's, it's the oddest. I, I love it as a storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, I love it for the, for the spectacle. Yeah. And I love it for the ridiculousness. Right. Because, yeah. you know, it, it is funny to me. Mm-hmm. See, to be like, I have ultimate power. What am I going to do? I'm going to freeze that tropical island. Yeah, yeah. But only for 24 hours. Right, right. And and that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. It unfortunately, it, if it wasn't for the fact that by this point, it's issue 60, the FF have been running for five years, and the comic is littered with stories of characters with, like, the ultimate ground-shaking power and they really just kind of like do the same sort of thing. It's like, aha, now department store doors open from the opposite end. You know, I'm the impossible man or the infant Terribla or, you know, some other character that has like godlike power. Um, but, you know, but you could be right. Unfortunately, this is me not being very generous. It's It's always that idea of that realm of the ultimate threat Kirby just never really seems to connect with. And I don't think it, it really, in a way he never takes seriously. I think, you know, by the time you, he himself creates the ultimate villain, which is dark side. Dark side is a character that insinuates, you know, and if you come at him, he will fuck you up nine ways to Sunday, but he is, his own ideas about, you know, the, the idea that the, the ultimate power that he has, that he wants is called, you know, the anti-life equation. I think for Kirby is really just kind of a, yeah, there's no, there's nothing mm, interesting at the end of that gambit, I think for Kirby, Mm -hmm. which may be part of the reason why he's like, "Eh, people get godlike figures, uh, godlike powers. Okay. They're going to turn the world into a giant candy shop. You know. So is, is that Kirby being uh, humanistic or or the opposite? That the, the idea that given ultimate power, we will do frivolous things with it as opposed to self-destruct. You know, I, I, I could be very wrong, but I almost feel that until you sit down and look at the new gods, it's, I, I feel like Kirby almost doesn't think that it's worth paying attention to you know like i you know or maybe he just doesn't think that it's um it's just not what he's interested in for comics you know uh Mm -hmm. for such a long time like i i remember a quote by uh osomu tezuka uh the manga artist whose name i no doubt completely mispronounced who is you know basically the jack kirby of japan who created astro boy and black jack and completely changed the face of Japanese cartooning as we know it, the, the one of the great gods of cartooning. And he was talking about manga, maybe talking about something like Blackjack. And he was kind of talking about the fact that one of the things that he loves about manga is it. he's like, it always has to be absurd. You know, there's something about manga that is 
to him no matter where he was going. And he went to some really crazy, dark places in some of his uh, later work. At the same time, he was like, he always appreciated the ludicrous, you know? And I sometimes wonder if Kirby is just a guy who appreciates the ludicrousness of it. Like, all of his... Like, it doesn't... He doesn't think that having absurdity in a story diminishes the, the, the idea of making it a great story or even having profound insights into it. Because like I said, there's almost a way in which I feel like Kirby is such a fairy tale spinner that, there, that the idea is that there's always some note of the whimsical or the absurd in fairy tales. And that... And those things exist next to very serious ideas, you know, side by side. He, I think he, I almost think that he loves the juxtaposition, you know. Mm. Um, mm. But I, I, but I, I mean, I could very well be wrong. And of course, by the time you get to, you know, God, if nothing else, like the glory boat episode of of New Gods, you see that he is trying to tell stuff, it, you know, that he thinks are important in in very very big ways you know but yeah so i so i don't know i i i see your point i i think your points are all really good i think it's pretty interesting that i find myself being like uh like i didn't think that i was enough of a dr doom fan that i would be like no graham he can't be this absurd but when you see him on a surfboard turning a gorilla into a giant red beast for 24 hours you're like yeah, that's pretty. Like you said, I I think that's the perfect way that you put it. It, it. It's an imp character. He's he's an imp character who's just trash talking like he's like the world's largest monster. You know? Oh my God, he's the world's greatest internet troll. <laughs> he he kind that of that means the film is right when it turns him into a hacker. Oh God! There you go. We all made fun about it, and they're right. They're dead on. They're dead on. Oh, He's just shit. trolling for the lulls. Shit. Now it can be revealed. The secret the secret identity of Doctor Doom. So, Graham McMillan, we Jeff ran along, and yet somehow you've not turned into a crazy buzzy voiced creature, which I think we should We should quit while we're ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Kind of. I don't want it to happen because it's uh it's never fun. But we've been granted this extra time to to get through this. Um, congratulations. Congratulations to yourself, and thank you for the congratulations. I would also be very happy to point out that uh, you have also not gone weird at the two-hour mark, as has happened yeah. the last couple of times we've recorded as well. Yeah. Clearly, the podcast gods wanted us to actually get through all the issues we said we're going to get through. What nuts? When we do the Nets Baxter building, which will be at some point in the next month, July is kind of weird with Comic-Con, so yes. it'll be sometime in July. Sure. Um, but when we do it, Nez, it will be issue 61 through 67. Okay. We'll be doing issue 61 through mm -hmm. 67. Yes. Those will be the ones you read. And there's some great stuff in there. If, as I think Jeff and I would both agree, this was a weird batch of issues and, and mm -hmm. maybe a, a, a subpar batch of issues, mm -hmm. the, the next few issues have, have some great stuff in it, including... The Return of the Sandman, who yeah. pretty much just disappeared after uh, making a, uh, an important appearance in yeah. 57. 
Yeah. I, I have to say I will that I read issues I read all these issues and then I jumped ahead and read issues sixty one and sixty two and liked them much, much more. Much, yeah, much more. It's as if something came back into focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh because also these the next few issues that we're going to be covering contain the first appearance of him slash Adam Warlock. Oh wow. So yeah, there there's yeah. there's some stuff ahead. Yeah, that it's, sounds fabulous. It, it, it's like we're getting back on track. I'm not quite sure what happened with mm-hmm. these uh, six and an annual subpar issues, but they they're kind of shitty. They they are shitty, although they look fantastic. They, they look really beautiful, do. but but yeah. if they were drawn by anyone else, or to be honest, inked by other people, yes, frankly, I think that yeah, we, we would be having we would be feeling a lot less charitable towards them. Yeah, I think so. And I say it, that as someone who really liked the Doctor Doom uh, four parter, but. Mm-hmm. With the the constant break-ins by the Inhumans, the very odd pacing, yeah. Um, and honestly, the Doctor Doom story is at least an issue too long. I I think so. E- even even with all that, even with even with what's probably at least half an issue of Inhumans material jammed it, ac- spread across those four issues, yeah, it's still it's still I think uh, unfortunately a full issue too long. So, uh, but yeah, there there's 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 good stuff ahead. So thank you very much for listening to us again. Yes. We, we um, appreciate it mightily. We uh, also very much appreciate the people who have contributed to our Patreon, which is uh, the reason this exists. If we had not reached a specific level in our Patreon, we would not be doing the Baxter Building. So thank you, everyone who has contributed, who has given, who has said nice things, who has even thought about contributing. Uh, we really appreciate it a lot. That is for sure. Yeah, we really do. Um, so I think next week is a skip week, is my understanding. But the week yes, it after is because that, one of us is not going to even be in America. Wow, that's amazing. Where am I going? It's a special trip, Jeff. <laughs> You'll find out. <laughs> we think it's Latveria. Exactly. Come. Q Jeff being led into a rocket ship by like a trail of bananas. Um, yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks because one of us is going to be back is going to be out of the country. We'll be back with a white what discussing all sorts of other comics hijinksery. Um, Graham, do you want to tell people where they can find us or should I do that? You can find us on the Internet. There are various places on the Internet you can find us. If you would like to see the show notes that uh, we've talked about during this podcast, or for that matter, some written texts that Jeff and I have contributed to the site, that's waitwhatpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to find us on Twitter, we're at waitwhatpodcast. If you'd like to find us on Tumblr, we're waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Uh, if you'd like to find Jeff solo on Twitter, he's at lazybastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M, G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, and the Patreon that we mentioned before uh, is patreon.com forward slash podcast. Yay. I, I don't think there's anything else that I need to be pointing out. No, that really does do it all. Wow. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> Jeff is amazed. I am. I'm absolutely agog. So, We'll see you next time. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I feel like we should have a special, like, uh, develop a special Baxter Building sign-off or something, as opposed to just your usual delightful... Forewarned is forearmed. There we go. It's a, it's a four pun, Jeff. Do you get it? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that's nice. I did not get it because that's how that, tired that's, my brain is. Next time, Jeff will come up with one, listeners. Until then. <laughs> bye. <laughs> wow, I better start working now. It's going to be like forewarned <laughs> is four-eyed. Exactly. Four-armed is difficult for sweaters. <laughs> <laughs>